Hello, Toast. Hey, Dr. F. Yeah, I just got that crate that airdropped here at uh, Gravy John's Locker. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about the mix-up before. Who knew there was another place with such a similar name? Amazing. So, did you ever get that other package back? Sadly, nine. Fortunately, I activated its rampage mode. Won't those people be surprised? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Hey, Toast. How's it going, buddy? Ah, oh, hey, Calvin. Huh. What's in the crate, man? What? Uh, uh, this is a little something I had Dr. F whip up for me. Uh, hey, what's up, Dr. F? Hello, unsuspecting podcast victim. Huh? How's that? <laughs> oh, don't mind me. Sometimes I make bad jokes that don't translate very well over Skype. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right, okay. Well, say, Toast, uh, that sure is a big crate. Huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, you're darn right it is. So, you happen to have a crowbar, I see. Huh? Oh, this? Yeah, I always carry one in this neighborhood, man. You just never know when you're going to need to hold up in an abandoned building. Been there. Done that. Anyway, Calvin, do you think you can help me uh, pry this thing open? And by that I mean you open it up while I stand way back over here? <laughs> Smart thinking, Toast. Sure, Toast. I bet I can get that thing open for you. No problem. Ah, ah, there you go. Ah, told you I could. Hey, what is this? Looks sort of like... Rampage! Here, let me get that. Beep. There. Rampage mode deactivated. Ah, it's a shame about Calvin, though. Yeah, he dropped like a beat. Doc. Crumbled like a cake. Um... Got punched out like board game components. Okay, okay. Sheesh! That one was a little too on the nose. Or on the chin, in this case. <sighs> okay, okay. So then, uh, this is my robot version of John, the podcaster? Oh yeah, just as you requested. I fed in every episode of every podcast the real John was ever on. And all the Brack Show episodes. <laughs> Great! I can't wait to- wait, 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 wait. What was that last part? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, buddy. Um, Doc, why does the robot have a mustache? I mean, the real John doesn't have a mustache. Ah, but evil robot John does. I mean, that's how you know he's an evil robot John. Woo yeah! Huh, well, okay. Evil robot John, get out there and do some podcast stuff. Wait, there's like enough parts here for five of these robots. You got it, buddy. I haven't had this much fun since I was face down in a pizza pie. Eat my way to freedom. Root de doop de doo. Whoosh. Oh, gosh, I'm really beginning to think this was a bad idea. <laughs> this is good, right? <laughs> yeah, the best. Doc, you are a genius. That's oh. what it says on the card. Uh, what happened? I, th- I think I'm concussed. Just sleep it off. Doctor's orders. Enigma combination. Huh. The Swarmcast podcast is recorded, mixed, and produced on the poop deck of Gravy Jones Locker in the heart of Columbia, South Carolina. On the show, we talk about the gaming hobby and random fandom. Opinions on this show are 
this is where editing is going <laughs> to come into play. Doing like magic. Magic. Podcast magic. I'm Toast, your cobalt announcer. And now, prepare to delve into the mind of your host, John Minas. Partner, why don't I pour you a sarsaparilla? It's about high noon here in the Swarmcast Saloon. Never mean only one thing. It's about time for a quick draw. Bang, 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 bang. So hope everyone's ready. We're going to be reviewing a quick start. Sort of. This is a free RPG day offering. Correct. This time on the mic, it's myself, John, and my wife, Ruby. Hello, folks. And it's just the two of us. You know what that means? It's another RPG that's just for two people. Yeah. I'm kind of... Cthulhu's not my favorite, but I'm digging the two-on-two. Or the one-on-one. The one-on-one. So what was this uh, quick start that that we're doing? Uh, So this is Cthulhu Confidential. It was their 2018 free RPG day offering. And it was in a dual book of Cthulhu Confidential and The Fall of Delta Green. I ran Fall of Delta Green already for a free RPG day. So I ran this one for just me and you. And it is called a Cthulhu Confidential, A Cable's Length from Shore by Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. And this is from Pelgrane Press. Correct. So what is the gist of Cthulhu Confidential? Cthulhu Confidential is a gumshoe system and it's a one-to-one adventure. Uh, You play Phyllis Oakley, a dealer in rare books. You know all the tricks of the trade. You scour secondhand stalls, private auctions, secret bibliophile clubs, looking for what your clients seek. You have contacts all over London, lesser book hunters and traders and borrow rummagers who sometimes turn up something valuable. One of your most valuable contacts was Alf. Uh, Six months ago, you attended his funeral, drowned, his daughter said. So who left that rare occult book on your doorstep last night? What ancient force awoken from the slumber of 3,000 years stalks the streets of London? Dun, dun, dun. And that's not to be confused with Alf. Uh, from the, the <laughs> no. NBC television show. His full name is Alfred F- Fulbrow. Alfred Fulbrow. Yeah. <laughs> I. It was a mouthful for me the whole game. <laughs> so, like Ruby said, this is Gumshoe in particular. This is the Gumshoe one to one. One to one player. One to one. It's one game moderator and one player. So if you go back and listen to our review of, um, I think we did a review of Knights Black Agents. Yeah. We talked about some gumshoe on there. Uh, it's, well, well, we'll get into more it's of the, the same system, the, but yeah. Of the system, yeah. So, Ruby, as the GM for this, or the moderator, how easy was it to, to learn the game and how much prep time did it, did it generally take you? To learn the game, I was already familiar with the gumshoe system from Knight's Black Agent and also the Fall of Delta Green. So I didn't really have much of a learning curve on that. I basically read their three pages and was like, yep, I remember that. Yep, I remember that. 
So it was very easy to learn. But as the Gunshu system itself, if I had never learned it, it is a very simple system. You pretty much two, maybe three dice at all, these sixes. Right. And you're going to meet some sort of threshold number. And for the most part, they have all of your skills and everything on your character sheet for this quick start. Okay. So. And as far as prepping this adventure, about, about how much time did that seem to take? I don't know. How long did it take you to uh, <laughs> photocopy the like six pages of, of cards that I had to cut out? Okay. And, that's, that's... and then I spent, I spent a really long time reading it because, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not a huge Cthulhu fan, even though this actually is very light on the Cthulhu stuff. It hints at Cthulhu, and it refers to a lot of Cthulhu stories. Not mm -hmm. Cthulhu, but Lovecraftian stories. So there's those threads, but there's very little that actually comes out directly and says Cthulhu or any of those mythos names. Um, and we don't want to spoil. Right. For, for other people who want to play this. But um, Now, as far as the prep, I will say this, because you mentioned, well, depending <laughs> on how long it took me to Xerox that. Now, in the yeah. book, uh, there's these... There's cards that get handed out during yes, the course of the play. there's edges and problem cards. And I believe you said in the book it told you to cut them out it of the book. It did. <laughs> but unfortunately, they're, they're, they're printed on the front and back, so you can't really... Cut them out. Cut them out. Yeah. So, so uh, the prep time is kind of hindered a little by the fact that I had to go and Xerox some pages. Yeah. Um. No, it took me maybe about two hours to read through everything, and that is only because... I would be reading and be like, oh, surely I'm almost done with this. And I have like, oh, I have 15 more pages to read. <sighs> and I would take a break and I would do something else. Or I would have to flip back and forth. I do notice that Pellegrin Press, whether it's Cthulhu Confidential or The Fall of Delta Green, they like their flow charts. It mm -hmm. will give you a page in it because the way that they set it up is the different scenes all have names. So when you're running it, it says, hey, if you've done X, then go to scene Z. Right. And then so basically there will always be a, as they call it, a scene flow chart. And that was kind of my experience with Knights Black Agents as well. There was the flow chart and right. the scenes each had a, a specific name. I guess because they don't want to specifically say, oh, this is part one, this is part two. Right. But the problem that I have with it, just like I did with Delta Green, is players can be unpredictable. And even though you have a flow chart that says if you do X, you can go to Y, Z or D. Well, sometimes by the choices they've made, you can go to scene N. Right. And that theoretically via the flow chart wouldn't be possible. But <laughs> but players are unpredictable people. Mm hmm. So yeah, yeah, I get that. I think what we ran into that a few times. Uh, at least once. Or at least, at least once. Yeah. So as far as a player, for me, um, figuring out how easy it was to pick up the rules, I kind of had the advantage of the fact that I was already familiar with the gumshoe system. But even if I wasn't familiar with it, the character sheet is, and this kind of goes in with how was the, the uh, pre-generated character. Mm -hmm. The character sheet's very in, was very intuitive. Uh, unlike other gumshoe stuff, I didn't have to worry about how many bubbles do I have, how many <laughs> dots do I have in the different investigative abilities. And for all of my general abilities, it, it gave me a number, but also showed me a picture of how many dice I'd be rolling for each one. So that was kind of right. cool. And I like the way 
on the character sheet, it, it gave me my sources, it told me about them, and told me what kind of skills my different contacts and people had. Right. Because this is a, two, a one, uh, one to one right. system. So you're actually playing by yourself. So, you know, one of their little taglines here is, all alone against the darkness, can you navigate the mysteries and survive the horrors? So, I mean, you're not, mm-hmm. you're not all-knowing and you don't have every skill. So you have to contact so other people. So you have to use your contacts. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of neat. Now, as far as the pregen, this game came with the pregen of Phyllis Oakley, who is a, a bookhound. She's right. the type of person who goes around hunting down rare books and such. They do make a mention that you can call him Philip Oakley and it can be a male. Mm-hmm. And you also had mentioned that did the, in the beginning the of it, they actually tell you that if it is set in London, 1937, uh-huh. however, everything is generic enough and doesn't mention a lot of specific places that you could easily transport it to any other era or other major city. Okay. Um, because I think the only major actual landmark that they mention is the Thames River. And really, it could just be any any body of water. They also do make a mention that they have some pregens on their Facebook page, or not their Facebook page, excuse me, on their website for their Cthulhu Confidential of three additional pre-generated characters that you could use instead of Phyllis Oakley. But in all honesty, having read through and run this, it would be more difficult mm-hmm. to have to remember, oh, this, because it refers to Oakley constantly right. in the book. And it just seems like with her background and everything, the, right. the story was set up more for that. Right. But so. yes, they do make a mention that you could use their other pregens. Right. So, but that being said, let's talk about this a little bit about this adventure. How was it? And did it give us a good idea of the setting? I feel like it gave a good idea of the very pulpy nature of it because it definitely felt like a... A pulp adventure? It did. Um, And like I said earlier, it was very light on the actual Cthulhu mythos. There was just enough. And if you were familiar with Lovecraft's work, you would recognize it. But it wasn't so over the top and beating you over the head with Cthulhu, Cthulhu, Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like some of the other things. Right. I think setting wise, it like I like you said, it gives it a nice pulp feel because it is mm-hmm. at least this one was set back then. I haven't looked into any other of the Cthulhu confidential items, but as far as this goes, I would be interested to play a generic pulp type thing. I would I would probably be more enjoyable because again, I'm not a Cthulhu fan because I think it's overdone. Um <laughs> is stripping out all of the Cthulhu mythos and running just a pulp noir type investigative game. I think it would be very easy to do. Yeah. Where I you wouldn't even have to do you could still do occult things, but not necessarily Cthulhu mythos things. Okay. Now the adventure it did a lot of times feel like um and you had mentioned this at one point while we were running it. Yeah. It felt like like I was going through a choose your own way right. choose your own adventure uh book. Especially at the beginning Because I guess I still have a hard time wrapping my head around the gumshoe is meant to be a you will always get the clues. It's how do you get the clues? Right. So still feeling my way around the well, having this pre-generated adventure and kind of being hamstrung by what they say is in the adventure versus what I would have just said, Uh, you know, um, my impromptu answers or whatnot versus what's written. 
And because of that, having to follow the flow chart mm-hmm. and it, at times it did feel like, especially starting out, it was like, well, uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to talk to? Do you have X skill? We were both kind of like, uh, yeah. it felt like I was reading you the choose your own adventure book. But that, that almost just seems like a gumshoe thing. So not necessarily just a Cthulhu confidential kind okay. of thing. Well, yeah, when I did Fall of Delta Green. Uh-huh. It felt kind of similar stuff. as well. But again, I'm not sure if that's totally because it's not necessarily the way that I GM or gotcha. or the fact that that's how they all read. But you saying that running Night's Black Agent kind of makes me feel better. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I, there, there was there was some similar stuff with that with Night's Black Agents where I felt like, well, I'm kind of having to prompt you guys, you know, does anybody have this investigative ability right and it's not that you have to roll for that investigative ability if you have it it, then i have to give you some information or you need to tell me how you're using that right that i thought was kind of neat because there were times that you john as the player would Mm -hmm. start to talk and role play and i was like oh i see where he's going with this without even having to ask oh you're using your archaeology yeah I was like, oh, I got that, and I could read it off. Yeah, and that was kind of neat. So that that came into play in the later half of the scenario. Right. Did we enjoy this quick start? My answer is no. <laughs> but then again, I'm not a huge fan of Cthulhu. I've said it many times, and other things too. I'm not sure that I truly like the gumshoe system. Okay. I've tried it in Night's Black Agents, Delta Green, and now Cthulhu Confidential. I don't know why I don't really care for it that much, but I just, I think I've given it a fair shake across <laughs> three different genres. So. Okay. Okay. I like, I do enjoy the one to two, the one to the one. one, to one. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. But I think you can take pretty much any game and do that. So. Right. So uh, I didn't really care for it. It was, it was decently written. It was. It was just really a good just example, your, but it's just not. It's just my not thing. your thing, right? Uh, do you think you would have had more fun playing it? No, no. <laughs> okay, so again, Ruby didn't care for it, but it's right. but not again, really her flavor, right? It's not my flavor. The I'm not genre, usually not so much the game. Correct. I'm not usually a pulp type person. I'm either sci-fi or fantasy. Okay. I'm not usually pulp. It takes a lot to get me into pulp. No, I I actually had fun with this. At a certain point, because um, with this game and with the the fact that it really played up to the pulp mm-hmm. nature of it, there's stuff that I was able to do in this that I probably would never be able to get away with <laughs> or be a lot trickier to <laughs> set up and get away with in other uh, games. Um, so so to me, that was fun because then I, I started really getting that that vibe. And it kind of made me feel uh, kind of really made me feel like that. um is this really old? This well, really old. This movie from the eighties, mm-hmm. cast a deadly spell. Okay, with a uh, Fred Ward. Yep, it gave me that kind of a vibe, uh, in in all sense of the things. It's a pulpy detective thing with with <laughs> Cthulhu mythos stuff in there. It it kind of made me think of an older setting, Dylan Dog. Oh wow, that's not a bad way to to describe yeah. it either. Yeah, it's kind of pulpy, investigative yeah. with supernaturally stuff. So listeners, go out there and find those movies. Um, you'll probably have an easier time finding D- Dylan Dog. Yeah. Although I want to say Castadelli spells on Amazon Prime right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or or it's on YouTube. Um, 
Anyway. So would this make you want to check out the full version of Cthulhu Confidential? Again, no. But then again, it's just not my thing. Okay. What about the full version of uh, Gumshoe 1 to 1? Maybe. Um, but like I said... You'd want to see what what sort of right. what flavors you could really use that right, with. Right, right, right. I'm always interested in the one-on-one things because we can't always get our gaming friends over. Uh-huh. So we got to get our gaming fixed somehow. But yeah, um, and Gumshoe is more of an investigative type of game. So whatever flavor of one-to-one you would do would have right. to lead to that. So if you wanted, you could do a like a Veronica Mars kind of. <laughs> yeah, thing. I guess. Uh, I mean. Maybe if it wasn't set in pulp, maybe if it was more modern day, I might have. Again, I'm not sure. Uh, I would I would give it another shake. um, Right. But overall, like I said, I think I've given Gumshoe a fair shake over three systems already. So (laughs) and and I get that it's it's definitely a system that's 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 um, not quite for everyone. Yeah. But it's, you know, if sometimes I like my numbers (laughs) and my crunch. Um, I feel like this get was a much better, much more interesting version of a Call of Cthulhu type game. Overall, yes. I like this a lot more than I actually liked Call of Cthulhu. Yes, I agree. I liked it much better than I did Fall of Delta Green as well. Yeah, I could see that. It seems like, yeah. Because Fall of Delta Green deals with Cthulhu mythos as well. Right. Um, except you're more of the military. It's it's almost right. like Knights Black Agents meets Cthulhu, Cthulhu methods, yeah. instead of vampires. Right. Instead of vampires, it's tentacle monsters everywhere. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. So again, we were reviewing the the quick start for Cthulhu Confidential from Palgrain Press. So before I forget, how was if someone wanted to check this out, how would they be able to do that? Well, you would have had to have participated in Free RPG Day 2018. Mm-hmm. Perhaps your local gaming store still has a copy or two you could get a hold of. Right. Or if you purchase either Call of uh, the Cthulhu Confidential or Fall of Delta Green's books, the base games, mm-hmm. you can get the PDF from Pelagrain Press, Press. Either by purchasing it online from them or... Or by sending them a receipt and whatnot to getting a copy of it. Okay. But you actually have to purchase Cthulhu uh, Confidential or Delta Green okay. to actually get this particular one. However, having said that, if you are interested in checking out Cthulhu Confidential, they do have a sampler package that has some information, pre-generated characters, and a short adventure in there. And that's for, on that's on Pelagrain's website. If you website. look for uh, Cthulhu Confidential, okay. And I know they did that with uh, Knights Black Agents as well. So that's so that's pretty good. So I guess that's just a, a thing that they they do. Yeah. So awesome. So, but this was Cthulhu Confidential, a cable's length from shore. Swarmcast, I got your number. I'll call you all the time. Area code 8034704439 Podcast brings you games from around the world.
So hello, Swarmcast listeners. You've tuned in just in time to hear another edition of an interview with a returning guest. So this time on the show, we have from Shades of Vengeance, I have Ed Jallet. How's it going, Ed? Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, it's going great. Thanks for having me back again, John. So Ed, and it, it might come to no surprise to anybody listening to this show, you have a Kickstarter going on right now. For... I know. I, I mean, it's <laughs> such a unique experience, right? <laughs> I mean, we've only run over sort of 35. Oh, wow. I was going to say, yeah, you're very much old hat at this whole Kickstarter thing. Yeah. Kickstarter are, you know, the, the users on Kickstarter, they're a great group of people. Gives us an opportunity to see, you know, whether a game is going to be popular or not before we actually go ahead and go out into the world with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while we don't often fail, you know, there's there's sort of a degree of success. You know, you, you look at something like Era the Empowered, which we ran recently, versus Era the Chosen. Obviously, they both did quite well, but uh, Era the Empowered did sort of one and a half times as well. So we can have an extra expectation that you know there's going to be sort of a few less sales you know maybe do a slightly smaller print run for era of the chosen and you mentioned two things in particular era of the chosen era empowered the empowered and that's part of your your era line of RPGs, which is what we've had you on here to talk about before, mainly. What you've got currently kickstarting is something uh, related to your era line, um, particularly related to era survival, but this is slightly different. So what is this Kickstarter, Ed? So this Kickstarter is for Era Survival Colony. It's a cooperative card game for one to four players. Now, some of your listeners may already be aware, uh, I've actually published two card games in the past, and uh, one of them is sort of very much a very quick play large group kind of game three to ten players and the other one is kind of a slightly more tactical but still very light-hearted and fun i'd almost say sort of party game end of sort of a group card game it's very family friendly that one now this one is based in the era survival universe as you mentioned and um it was very much inspired by games such as dead of winter and uh the XCOM board game both of which you know I'm, I'm i'm a bit of a fan and uh i i kind of i saw a hole in in both of those games because the XCOM board game is great fun but the need to use a mobile app really does kind of put a damper on the gameplay for me i don't particularly like being timed um and actually the last time i played it my brother and i agreed what we'd do is we'd actually pause the timer so we could kind of talk stuff out because i like to be a little more inclusive with the group when we're when we're being tactical know give everyone the opportunity because you never know what someone else might see from another angle okay so what i did is i created era survival colony so the idea is that you control a colony uh you are the leader uh the recruiter the defender and the salvager of that colony so you can split those roles between one two three or four players so you can do them all yourself or you can split them out um and there are recommendations about how you would do that in the rules uh the only one that's not obvious is three players and there's just one person who takes on two roles okay so the idea is that you need to protect your colony from the various threats that exist out there in gaia as anyone who is a fan of the uh era survival role-playing game will know you know they, they are myriad and extensive there are humans who you know are looking to destroy you there are obviously all the various kinds of infected which includes all kinds of warm-blooded creatures including birds uh humans of course uh bears wolves and so on and then there are the really really um, insidious types, such as the cult of progression, who will uh, try to convince you that uh, being infected is the ultimate fate of humanity and it's nothing to be feared and, you know, will potentially, you know, sort of lead half of your colony out into 
other into the wilds to get infected because they're relatively persuasive individuals. So all of these things, you know, that you know that they're all things that are the obvious threats. Well, then there's the stuff like blight. What if blight hits your crops? Okay. What if um, you know? What if there's a migration of of the animals that you would usually eat? What if you have a single individual who decides to uh, steal everything they can from you and and leg it because they don't think your colony is going to make it? And you can even be blacklisted by the runners, which means supplies won't come in. So yeah, it's kind of a it's got a lot of nasty things that can go horribly wrong, and the the players have to work together in order to sort of overcome that. Sort of the player roles are split, as I said, but uh, the recruiter will bring new people into your colony. The salvager will uh, go around and they'll pick up salvage cards, which uh, can be played to give you an advantage. Things like you can pick up some injection or you might find a crate of guns or various other things like that. The defender obviously has to uh, overcome the various actual physical threats to your colony and then the leader is left with the responsibility for making sure everyone's assigned to the right place after the year's over and uh, trying to sort of reassign people maybe you don't have enough people on food uh, so you need to put some more people on food or maybe you want to put more people on salvage because you're you've got infection running rampant through your colony and you've got to sort of try and find a way around that so there's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of different aspects to it. It's a very sort of tactical game. It's uh, it's quite deep with the possibilities that could happen. Uh, there's actually a video of me online uh, demonstrating it, and um, I actually died in the third turn. You've got to survive <laughs> eight turns, which represent eight years, and I died in the third turn. I was sat there going, yeah, yeah, this is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, just, just in case you're thinking, oh, well, you know, some of these games, you know, they end up really, really easy. So if you don't have a versus option, there's no real point in playing. Well, it's about one in 12 to win based on a couple of hundred playtests. Oh, wow. Over the last two years. So, you know, it really is quite tough to actually go ahead and win the game. I mean, that's that's Era Survival Colony in a nutshell. There's a lot more info about it on Kickstarter, of course. We'll have that link to the uh, the Kickstarter in our show notes. But yeah, if you, if you go on to Kickstarter, you can look up. You can actually look up. If you just type in Era, you'll, you'll, it'll probably be <laughs> the first one that pops up because it's the one yeah, that's active will, right now. Yeah, it's active, yeah. Um, but Era Survival Colony will definitely pull that up. It's uh, it's the Kickstarter is doing extremely well. Um, I'm very very grateful to everyone who supported us. We are now approaching the well. We're moving towards the first stretch goal. We're at two thousand seven hundred and fifty nine dollars, and the first stretch goal is at four thousand dollars. So um, I'm you know I'm looking at this going yeah. I think I think we might get lucky, and I think we might reach that. We may even reach the second stretch goal at five thousand dollars. That would be fantastic. And those will each give a, a special bonus card to the Kickstarter backers only. Oh wow! Um, it'll be unique to the Kickstarter backers. So uh, yeah, definitely worth a look. I think um, there, there's some very interesting cards. They're actually explained in the updates. If you're curious about what they what they are and what they do, and it's a pretty good price point to get into this to this game for people uh kickstarting it too it's i'd, I'd it's like to not think bad. so uh yeah. it's it's 25 dollars for the deck the deck contains 108 cards uh and the rules and uh if you want to get hold of champion of earth and evil overlord the two other card games that i mentioned previously we've actually got them at a slightly discounted price because they should be the same mm-hmm. and you can get hold of all three of them for 65 dollars yeah i was gonna say that that looks like it's it's a really good one right there so i i came up with the idea for this game really because a lot of the stories in era survival are all about you know trying to survive in that environment of gaia if you know mm-hmm. what i mean and i thought well i wonder i wonder if i can make a game that's kind of more focused on that than the role-playing game is ever going to be 
Um, we actually have the Foundation campaign, which is on our Patreon, which actually does explore a very similar sort of set of circumstances. You're, you're gradually fighting uh, one by one. You're fighting various factions that are trying to get rid of your colony. And we're on about session, I want to say we're on about session 13 of that now um, on Patreon. And, uh, you know, it covers sort of a similar kind of ground, but... Because it's a role-playing game, you don't really get to experience the kind of infected hordes that might approach you. There's there's not really much point because, you know, then you're very likely to have a lot of player deaths, a lot of people dying within. So what we do is we always give you the opportunity to sort of divert that away from your colony. Obviously, characters in a card game are a little more throwaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a we've actually got a, a person deck which contains about twenty people that you can that you can have. Uh, many of them have various sort of bonus abilities and they all have the ability to either defend or farm or uh, work as a recruiter or work as a salvager and they you know some of them have various bonuses for salvage and and so on now all of this means that you know these these individuals if one dies to infection or whatever then it's not really the end of the world because you aren't feeling like you know oh no my characters died you know i've been playing them for 10 sessions and i really got very attached to them and now i've lost them and now I'm kind of disengaged with the game, which can obviously happen quite a lot with role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if the death is, oh, yeah, you just jump, got jumped by an infected today. <laughs> you know, it feels a bit cheap. But that's very much the reality of life on Gaia. I mean, it does happen a lot to a lot of different people. So, you know, this was one way with sort of to create the NPCs, if you like, in a way that sort of matters because, you know, you know that if you run out of people, you're going to lose. But also, it's not actually the end of the world if they die. You know, if one or two die, then you can sort of sweep another carpet and move on as a colony. Right. Okay. So this definitely adds more depth to the whole era survival experience is what it sounds like. And like you said, you're, you're, you get to actually play that part that probably in the RPG, you wouldn't really, you would just kind of get to see maybe the aftermath of or, or such. Or, or maybe you'd escape it or, or you right. manage to divert them to a neighboring town or, or whatever, depending on how evil you're feeling that particular day. It's kind of a different dimension to era survival. And I, I was very eager to be able to explore that kind of route because, you know, era survival, it's a really great game. You know, I mean, it's had two successful Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. We funded three expansions and a definitive edition and so on. And I really do enjoy the game and enjoy expanding that universe. I definitely have further plans for the role playing game. This is not kind of anyone who's listening. Going, oh, no, it's going to be the end of the role playing game. It's <laughs> absolutely not. It's just another way of exploring this universe. It's another way of looking at this world and what it's like to live there. Right. Which is something, you know, I, I really, really wanted to, to do because you you should have, you know, a, a one in 12 chance of surviving in, in Gaia is probably optimistic. You'll, you'll go through an entire role playing game and because you're the players and because, you know, you think tactically and so on. And because most GMs aren't super cheap and will just make something jump out at you and you'll die. Mm-hmm. you'll go through and you'll sort of get this false sense of oh yeah yeah well i mean i i'm not going to die very easily you know i'm gonna have to make a big mistake in order to die it's just not the way it is in gaia you know <laughs> you're, you're overfaced by pretty much any kind of enemy you might meet and that very much comes through in this game um you'll, you'll see again if you if you have a quick look at the video it's only about 20 minutes long and that was with me explaining how everything was working but you'll see, I mean, very few enemies are as weak as strength one, and every defender is automatically strength one unless they have a bonus. Okay. So, you know, if you want to come out of sort of a, a, an infected attack relatively unscathed, you need to have quite a lot of defenders full-time who are 
not working on food, who are not working on salvaging, if you want to actually survive. So, yeah, it's uh, and then you've got the salvage uh, aspect of it, which sort of gives that extra dimension of the tactical thinking, because some salvage cards can give you a really, really powerful boost to combat. Mm hmm. For one turn. And then what do you do in the next turn when you face similar kinds of odds and you don't have that boost? When do you spend it? Do you spend it the first time? Do you spend it the second time? What if you don't make it to the second time because you didn't spend it the first time? That's absolutely what happened to me, actually, um, <laughs> in the demo game that I that I did, um, that the video is for. I had an opportunity and I missed it, but I couldn't possibly have known without, without sort of foresight. I, I'm curious, because with this game, could you actually sort of like, there's, there's this game called, um, I think it's called Microscope, where it's basically a world building thing where you, you, you and whoever else is playing, you establish like this is the, the campaign world and here's some rules of it and stuff like that. Could you actually use Era Survival to, uh, like, you go, hey, we'll, we'll pl like, I'll play a game of this, and that'll, that's going to be what I'm going to use to set up this one colony that I'm going to have the, yeah, the, the PCs I mean, walk into? Absolutely. I mean, you could also do it the other way around. Uh, after eight years, you know, w what situation is the colony in? Uh -huh. Are the player characters, some of these people, you know, person cards, who have, who have left the colony because there are various circumstances. I mentioned runners blacklisting you. You know, if the runners blacklist you, then two people just leave the colony forever okay so you know may maybe the maybe the players are people who left the colony in the third year of it because you know it was it was blacklisted by runners and they thought they were going to die if they stayed there are various kind of potential story points and equally you know as you say you could have oh yeah well i'm going to use this to set up the colony M maybe the player characters um you know, go and, and they're going to set up a colony and then they sort of go away on their adventures and you want to find out how that colony actually did, mm -hmm. you know, you know, and, and when they come back, is that colony still alive? Is it thriving? You know, are they, you know, are they having a sort of a thriving merchant colony now? And, you know, they're, they're trading with everybody and the players come back to find that, you know, they have sort of half shares in everything the colony's ever earned and they're they're wildly successful or do they come back to find that you know it's abandoned everyone's died and you know the infected are overrunning the place so yeah i think i think there are a lot of opportunities to sort of bring in this this kind of tie-in with era survival the the role-playing game absolutely very cool from from what everything i've seen and from what you've been talking about i i definitely see that that nice mix of dead of winter and xcom and i agree it's 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 very frustrating playing uh, XCOM sometimes when you've got that app just the, yeah, that, that music and the that music and in the, the background <laughs> right you got that music yeah and you're like oh gosh uh what am I gonna do <laughs> you know I mean the other thing about this is is it's 108 cards and that's everything that you need to play mm -hmm. that means that it's really really portable you know you're not you're not oh, worried yeah. you know if you want to take it on holiday because you know you're going to be I don't know out and about all you need is a meter square table you know, in order to play it, or a meter-square flat surface. Okay. A and the deck, and that's it. And then you don't need to worry about carrying the board or a, or a large box, because, again, I love the XCOM game, but it's massive. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, <laughs> lugging that thing around is, you know, it, it's it's the game you take if you take a game. Right. You know? And I thought, well, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, I wonder if I can condense this down, make it a bit more sort of portable, a bit more usable. And in my opinion... XCOM doesn't need to use miniatures, you know, in order to actually give the gameplay experience. I use I use various cards, as I've mentioned, uh -huh. um, person cards and so on, to represent the individuals. Now, everyone loves their miniatures, of course, and, and I'm certainly not ragging on miniatures. They're, they're, and the XCOM miniatures, oof, they're fantastic. They're really oh, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
But again, it adds the bulk, and you're worried that they're going to get damaged and so on. And if a if a deck of cards is properly made and the box is you know the right size, then it's basically indestructible. Gotcha. So yeah, that was kind of that was kind of my thinking behind. Oh, I wonder how we I wonder how we achieve this. Okay, it's for one to four players, which I think is a nice little. A little, a little spot to go there, uh, especially having that one player option. That's that's yeah, really nice. That was super important to me. And it, and again, um, I'm going back to XCOM again, but it's uh-huh. it's one of the things I really like about XCOM. It's the fact that yeah, I, I'm in the mood for a, for something a little bit tactical today. Okay, well I'll go and sit down and I'll play this, and I can play it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't need to have two or three other people come round in order to actually play it and enjoy the game. Because right. not everyone can do that all the time. Right, right. So what's what's about the average um, playtime for this then? Uh, it, it sort of it, it depends how many turns you survive. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's roughly sixty minutes. Okay. Uh, I, I it's eight turns, and you know I find that it's about you know about eight minutes a turn when I'm explaining things on camera. If I'm doing it, obviously I'm the creator, so I know I know the game very very well. Um, if I'm doing it, you know, I get through a turn in three or four minutes. When I'm playing with other people, I've found that it lies somewhere in the middle of that. I mean, and the first turn will be a bit longer as everyone's sort of figuring it out. But as you move further and further in, people get more and more used to it. I actually played it with a, with a bunch of work colleagues uh, with the original version, which was actually uh, uh, handwritten on, on plain white cards. And that was actually uh, one of the rewards on the Kickstarter, and someone's actually pledged for uh, for that original prototype, which has all my notes on the cards and what they can do, and sort of, oh, it can do this, and then sort of scribbled out, and the next thing written. So, you know, it gives you a lot of sort of insight into what it is that I was thinking about while I was playing the game. So I'm, I'm very pleased that someone's interested in that. But, uh, you know, I played it with a lot of work colleagues. You know, they were were very supportive. They were very interested in sort of trying something out. And we found that it fit really nicely into a lunch hour. You know, you'd have 15 minutes to eat and then you could play and you'd get through the game uh, once you knew it pretty well. That's pretty cool. So that's always a nice thing to have a, have a nice little game that you can just, like you said, have to, to play through your lunch break and so. That, that's another thing about both Dead of Winter and, uh, and XCOM because... Uh, you know, they they take a bit longer. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you 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 know, you're a few hours likely. Yeah. Um, and that's fine, and it's great, but not everyone wants that all of the time. So, sort of, I saw a, I saw a thing that hadn't quite been done, and I thought, okay, well, Era Survival is the perfect thing to do this with. It's perfectly themed for sort of, oh no, we're all gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> And um, and I thought, okay, well, let's let's do it. Let's see uh, let's see if people are are interested in this and. You know, it's become very clear to me, you know, at least 68 people are as of recording. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we'll get a lot more by the time this comes out. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Um, and I'd like to encourage anyone who's listening and, and thinks they might be interested, reach out to us, you know, send send us a message on Kickstarter if you have any questions. If there's anything you want to know about or if, if you want to ask a specific question about how something works or whatever once you've looked at the gameplay... Feel free. I mean, I'd like to think we're approachable. You can reach out to us on Facebook as well or on our Discord. You can uh, find the link for our Discord floating around our Facebook. Yeah, I mean, we'd love to answer questions. Um, I've actually already had one suggestion from uh, uh, from a backer, which I'm going to be taking on board. They suggested that we add a, a little icon to the infected enemies uh, rather than just writing infected. Oh, nice. And I think I think that's a very good point. So I said, okay, yeah, let's let's do that. Let's 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 add that to the infected, so everyone knows which ones the infected are. And I know it says at the bottom, but uh, you know, it's it never hurts to sort of be told right uh, in icon form as well. So um, yeah, I mean, 
I'm I'm completely open to feedback. Um, I've had another sort of I had an idea. There's there's um there's an expansion that I'm planning at six thousand dollars. It's a little expansion that would basically mean that unlike Dead of Winter, where one of the players is a traitor, you know the NPC person cards that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. One of those will be a traitor. Oh, interesting. And um, if that traitor survives to the end of the game, then you're going to lose. Huh. It gives you one more victory condition. It, you'll have the opportunity to figure out who the traitors are. Mm-hmm. But of course, then also th- those people might die anyway. They're sort of, they're secretly traitors. Okay. Rather than being, uh, rather than being known as traitors. And it, it'll be a case of, you know, putting, putting the cards away and no one knows which cards have been chosen as traitors huh so you know it'll be a case of can the colony as a whole find out rather than uh, rather than oh yeah i i know and i'm the traitor so it's sort of again it's a slightly different take sort of um sort of inspired a bit by cluedo uh you guys call it clue don't you you don't call yeah. it cluedo yes um but <laughs> but yeah sort of inspired by that you know it'll it'll be stuff put away that you don't know about oh very cool. um rather than trying to find out by exclusion like cluedo does uh you'll be trying to find out um by sort of various salvage cards and various opportunities. For example, some crises uh, that happens. That sounds like it could be pretty neat. A nice little a nice yeah, little I mean, extra element to the game. And that's that's the thing. And and much like with the role playing games, I think I've I think I've um, sort of mentioned this point of view that I have before uh, on the Swarmcast. I always feel that an expansion should add a new dimension to the game, a new thing that isn't entirely necessary for gameplay, but gives you something more if you get it right you know you you don't feel like you're missing out you know on the actual game without it you know i don't want to go down the uh the the way that some computer games are doing dlc these days right right um you you do sort of get something extra as a result of it because you know i mean it's going to be some extra money and and you need to get some kind of money's worth makes sense to me we've been talking with ed from shades of vengeance about era survival colony uh check out the kickstarter now and ed you had something that you had you had mentioned to me um shortly before we started recording something else that you guys have coming coming down or or maybe it's already Uh, in the works happening right now yeah okay um we're, we're currently again some of your listeners might be aware we also produce comics in our role playing game world Mm-hmm. We're on to our latest comic now. It's in it's an era the empowered comic, and it's Halloween themed. Ooh, Ooh. spooky! <laughs> it's called Kazumi and the Death Seekers, and it's about a, a a young lady who can see the future, but only when someone is just about to die. Huh, okay. Now imagine. Well, uh, I, I should say only when someone has the possibility of dying. Now imagine how many times a day you might possibly die. You know. uh the bricks above you are a bit crumbly and you exit. Uh, you exit a building. You know, a uh, car, you know, misses you by a few inches. You know, if the driver had just steered a bit more that way, then, you know, you might be dead. She sees all of those things. Oh, wow. <laughs> but she sees them in the form of goblins. Sort of these long-limbed goblin creatures. Huh. Um, which sort of whisper, Oh, yes, pull the trigger. <laughs> and uh, and the thing is that, that she's been seeing these for a while, and she's sort of that's she's realised that's her superpower. You know, that's that's her empowered ability um, that she has, and she's sort of learning to live with it. But it goes further than that because there are more of them. There are more of them all the time, huh. and uh, they seem to be covering the world. Huh. And she can't figure out why it is that you know that there are there are more and more and more of these creatures. Obviously, no one else can see them. 
she's sort of she's sort of fighting with her sort of her bog standard superhero i don't want to say she's the sidekick but it's kind of more of a partnership really you know what robin thinks batman and robin are rather than what batman thinks batman and robin are if you know what i mean (laughs) it's more of a partnership and uh you know she she's kind of she's got used to fighting with this with this guy he's called thunderbreaker and he has the ability to create lightning um and and sort of shockwaves from from thunderclaps as well and she's got used to fighting with him but uh you know sort of he'll he'll uh actually the two pages that are on the kickstarter that are shown um he sort of does a at the very very beginning of the comic he does sort of a lightning jump and sort of sets loose loads of bricks and she actually sort of destroys one of the bricks before it hits him in the head and saves his life because she saw the she saw the death seeker so she's getting increasingly worried about this and and um you know she's obviously got this this friend uh thunderbreaker and her other friend is actually a supervillain who can't be bothered to supervillain at the moment (laughs) you know like uh you know we we have this wonderful little scene where you know she makes the comment about you know evil triumphs when good people do nothing and the supervillain just bursts out laughing and she says like i need you guys to do nothing in order to (laughs) to take over the world (laughs) anyway it's it's uh you know it's sort of um it's it's a comic about about kazumi uh, that's the name of the main character trying to sort of come to terms with you know seeing death all around um and and the fact that that sort of there's more and more death all of the time you know what? What's going to happen? How are we going to? How are we going to overcome this terrifying portent that she's seeing? Or you know, is everyone in the world just going to die one day? You know, why is all this happening suddenly? So that's that's what the comic's all about. Again, that's funded already. Um, it had a it had a hundred dollar funding goal. Uh, we want to do a minimum print run, and uh, we're actually almost double funded. I'd say it's definitely well worth a look. Um, it's written by myself and well, primarily Jonathan Lewis who's very very experienced comic writer he's also worked with me on all of our stuff but um he's been in the industry for decades i uh you know i i I sort of i work with him uh sort of to tidy it up and i worked as the art director and yeah it's um it's the artwork is phenomenal uh it was done by kellick who's just started working with us uh he's actually done another comic for us as well that uh is going to be coming out next year that's called fauna it's another era the empowered comic okay um about a about a shape-shifting hero uh who can shape shift into various animal forms hmm, very cool. um and uh, and the colorist also uh is the person who's working on fauna so uh it's sort of this was a this was a comic to sort of get the team together and now we've already started working on the next comic uh because we enjoyed working together so much oh very neat um and yeah kazumi and the death seekers okay. uh again i imagine that if you search for it on on kickstarters it's kazumi with a z yes um i imagine if you search for it on kickstarter you'll you'll find it fairly easily would love to see this comic do well because obviously that's uh that's an indicator that um that people do like this art style i i think it's absolutely brilliant i think it's come out so well yeah i'm looking at um, it right now and it and it looks pretty neat and um and yes i was able to just type in kazumi and, and it was the first thing that popped up so fantastic that's, that's great what i like to hear <laughs> well, uh yeah so that's you know that's going on now it's going on for another uh, another two weeks or so and um era survival colony has about three weeks left 21 days as of recording so maybe two weeks by the time your uh, your actual episode comes out yeah that sounds about right and if anyone happens to be listening who is based in london please come and visit us at mcm comic-con 
uh, the weekend this comes out. We're, we're there. We're running demonstrations of all of our games. If you come up and, and tell me that you heard about us on the Swarmcast podcast, then I will I will actually run you a demo of Era Survival Colony, which we're not really offering, but I will run you a demo of it um, if you would like to, to give it a go and you tell me that you came from the Swarmcast podcast. There you go. Woohoo! I like that. I, I'll definitely be interested to know who and if. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. All right. Well, Ed, uh, well, thanks. Thanks again for coming back on, for talking really about, about two very interesting things here. The, the Era Survival Colony card game, which is on Kickstarter right now, and Kazumi and the, and the Death Seekers comic, which is set in the Era Empowered setting, which is on Kickstarter right now as well. And yeah, my listeners will... We have will... loads more coming. Oh, yeah. Loads more coming. Watch the space. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got one more Era of the Consortium comic this year. Uh, it's going to finish off our three-issue arc for the Bug War. I don't know if you, your, your listeners or, or yourself, John, are aware, but uh, we've done two Bug War comics so far, mm-hmm. and uh, this will be the third one. So there's that. And then uh, next year, we have we are looking at doing an Era of the Consortium Kickstarter that will offer miniatures for the first time. Uh, it's our five-year anniversary of Era of the Consortium in February. Oh, wow. So we're going to bring out some miniatures. Uh, we have some phenomenally good miniatures uh, that, again, people have been able to see if they visited us at MCM Comic-Con. We are also going to be doing the Fauna comic that I mentioned. Uh, we've got more Blue Shift and Violet comics coming. Cool. Uh, so more Era of the Empowered comics, uh, uh, many of those. We've got another Era of the Consortium comic starting up, another series uh, called Disarmed, uh, which is about uh, mech pilots. Oh, cool. Yeah, we've got loads and loads of stuff going on. Um, it's it's all looking really good, and I hope that you'll consider checking us out, um, and I hope that I can come back and talk to you again soon, John, because uh, you, know I I, you know I love being around the, uh, <laughs> uh, the Swarmcast podcast. Uh, you just can't get rid of me, can you? <laughs> well, we love having you on here, Ed. So that's great. Sounds good to me. Hey, Toast, what's behind this door? It's the designer's dungeon. Oh, yeah. you didn't. Yes, I sure did. Ah, <laughs> uh, Toast. Locked him up. I didn't mean actually keep designers yeah. in the dungeon. Well, it's too bad. They're there. Well, let's go talk to them. Yeah, <laughs> they're making like rough them up or something. So hello there, Swarmcast listeners. You've tuned in to the Designer's Dungeon once again. And I'm here, John. How's it going, everybody? And with me all the way from uh, newly relocated to a, a far north uh, location, undisclosed location. We have Matthew coming at you. How's it going, Matthew? Hey, coming at you even from this uh, undisclosed location from the north. <laughs> Are we still going by Matthew coming at you, or I, I think you came up with something else last time, but I don't remember what it was. I, I think I did. I forget. I'd have to go back. Matthew coming at you is still solid. Okay. Real solid. Well, what was Matthew's <laughs> other? What is Matthew's other nickname, listeners? Uh, tweet those at us, however you want to, and uh, we'll pick some lucky person to receive uh, something random and fun. Sure, that sounds like a good. Contest. I especially like the random part. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't done our our bizarre random contest in a while. So I mentioned that we're in the designer's dungeon and today in the designer's dungeon, we actually have somebody who 
came to our attention because at one point we did a we I ran a quick start on our quick draw pew 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 segment um, for a game called Laser Kittens and then much later I I fell in love with this game and so I, I got a copy of it and I ran it at a convention and that's uh, where where Matthew got to play it mm-hmm. and I seem to remember we both had a really great time and we both we talked a lot about it in fact I think we talked on uh, on Donald's uh, podcast about it too if I'm not mistaken <laughs> pretty sure we did I think we said it was like the best game we'd played at that convention all right but that's not me trying to to, to butter up our <laughs> our next guest <laughs> here on the show I have we have a uh, Stenter Danielson a game designer with glitter cats fine amusements and a co-designer for laser kittens how is it going Stenter it's going good thank you for having me so like I said laser kittens is kind of what got both me and Matthew kind of interested in glitter cats fine amusements um, mm-hmm. whew, that that's a bit of a mouthful but I'm okay with it uh, <laughs> so do do you um, prefer having folks refer to to you guys as uh, uh, glitter cats or yeah glitter or cats anything. works okay yeah we just didn't want to like a- every game company is something or other games and i was like let's let's do something a little different but then that makes the whole name longer <laughs> so that's so that's the curse of like trying to be special stand out <laughs> well i mean so I, you actually do stand out <laughs> yeah and there's there's a but certain there are some fun amusements yeah. yeah, there's there's a certain charm to having the name that long too. Um, yeah, <laughs> I keep I keep thinking, oh, cool, I'm gonna I'm gonna catch some sort of a, a show or something with this as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So before we uh, start talking about other cats and things like that, is there is there so what's the the origin behind glitter cats? So uh, it it basically started because uh, Cheyenne and I wanted to design some games uh, and we wanted to be able to publish them, and so we kind of needed uh, an identity um, and so it gave us just kind of a, a framework that we could use to, to put ourselves out there okay and, and the, the you know the name kind of uh, you know fit the spirit of the kind of games that we wanted to make uh, we're, we're not going to make a lot of you know dark and depressing and complicated kind of games (laughs) those games are great like i've played some really great games in that spirit but that's just not the kind of games that we design so the the name glitter cats i think kind of gives you a sense of the types of games that are gonna come from us okay looking through your the the website of the games that that glitter cats has there there definitely are a lot of uh cat themed games but you but you're right i i did get um there's there's just a a general sense of uh um, I don't know what what to call it. Uh, wonderment, wonderment, and, and amusement mm-hmm. from the the various games. So yeah. let's let's kind of. Um, I know Matt and I could probably just talk about nothing but laser kittens, but I do want to hit on some of these other games of yours because uh, yes, gl- uh, laser kittens is what what got me to check you guys out. Um, but then I then I saw Fool's Journey, and when I read that, uh, my wife Ruby was really interested in that. Mm-hmm. So that's and that's a game. It's a bit. It's a it's a what a narrative type of game but it uses the major arcana from a tarot deck if i'm not mistaken yeah so that that was one that uh cheyenne designed and so the basic idea there is that you are you're, you're using the, the minor arcana cards so the, the like the number cards to to bid to rearrange this line of the major arcana cards uh which then you're you're telling a story. So uh, at the end, you go around and each person will 
get a chance to basically tell a story that follows those cards along. And so that story, as it gets to each card, can be inspired by the title of the card, by the art that's on it, depending on what kind of tarot deck that you're using, by the, like, if you're into tarot stuff, you know, there's meanings attached to each one that can be kind of uh, a part of what it is. And so if you actually get the, the game... We have an example at the end where we, we show uh, a set of cards that were the kind of finale of a game that we had played. And then we have three different stories that you might tell based on that set of cards. Uh, we got several different people to just look at this and tell us, you know, if this is a story, what is this story? And it's really kind of fascinating that people have, you know, will tell totally different stories based on what they see uh, in that sequence of cards. That is pretty neat. Yeah. And, and the other thing about that game is it's it's real quick. So it can be a good kind of, you know, I hate the word filler because that's kind of dismissive. But like if you have a short right. amount of time, right, and you want to play something, you don't have time to dig into a, you know, a big game of something where you know character generation itself is going to take an hour and you can you can play a round or two of the fool's journey uh, without much prep. Okay. And, I, and I've noticed that seems to be a, a bit more of a trend. Uh, I don't know how long it's been a trend. Uh, folks mm-hmm. wanting a, I guess it kind of started off folks wanting an, an RPG that plays quickly because why yes. not? Everyone's getting into these board games that play quickly, micro games and such. Yeah. Yeah. And so having some sort of RPG, but then it's also kind of, um, I've noticed that the, uh, a lot of the games that I've seen from, from Glitter Cats has been, has fallen into that, that it's a, another RPG category. It's, um, Oh gosh, what do they call it? A storytelling game. Yes, yeah. definitely. Which I, I remember um, asking somebody about their RPG, and they quickly, very quickly corrected me on it. No, it's not an RPG. It's a storytelling game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd call our games both. They're, they're role-playing games. They're story games. I mean, okay. Well, I mean, I, I'm not so worried about you know policing the lines between different <laughs> genres and stuff. So I'd mentioned uh, checking checking out your games on the Glitter Cats uh, website. Where where can our listeners where can folks actually go out there on the internet to to find to find uh, glitter cats? So the best places to go uh, if you want to purchase the ones that we've published and put out there, uh, you know, to be purchased would be uh, Indie Press Revolution, and uh, we also have them on Drive Through RPG. Some of the other ones we have a few things that are like print and plays and free games and stuff. Those are on our website, which is Play Glitter cats.blogspot.com and that also has the links to IPR and drive through uh, if you you know want to find them uh, that way okay and uh, it's interesting to note also that yeah like you like you mentioned there's there's quite a few games on your website um, ones that that you have that y'all have out there that are uh, print and play or just sort of uh, a thing you can just download and, and just uh, just play so yeah we, so we really just want to get stuff out there we want people to be able to play it there's a lot of things that we've put together and it's like it's a cool idea somebody might be interested in this but we're not going to take the the whole process of you know publishing it getting you know art doing a kickstarter all that kind of stuff uh for you know everything that comes along but we want it to be out there in case that's what tickles someone's fancy and they want to play that and even with laser kittens which is kind of our, our biggest game so far, you know, you can go and spend, uh, you know, 10 bucks for the PDF, 20 bucks for the 
the physical book and you know that can be nice to have that kind of fully produced thing but if you want to just try it out and just you know get a sense of whether you're going to enjoy the game we have uh, some quick starts on the website that give you the full game experience and you can just download that uh, and play it so it's you know not not quite as pretty as having the full game uh, but it's you know the full game experience if you want to try it out yeah and speaking of which i've noticed there's a couple new um quick starts for laser kittens out there yeah yeah so we've been starting to put out some more of these quick start scenarios sort of going beyond the materials that are in the book so you know in the book as you're doing character generation and world creation there's sets of options to pick from and that you you build your your scenario out of that but we're putting out some of these quick starts with some different sorts of scenarios uh more specialized things or a little more off the wall things and so that's partly just to give people new things that they can try playing and it's partly as kind of a build-up to a Kickstarter that we're going to run in February for an expansion uh, to the game. So the two quick starts that we've got out right now, we're, we're trying to do one a month uh, up until February when the Kickstarter launches. So the two that we've put out so far in this are a Cats in Space quick start, where the scenario is that the kittens have kind of stowed away aboard a spaceship traveling to another star system. Uh, and a Halloween haunted house one where the humans are having a Halloween party and the kittens are, uh, you know, running around in the house while this Halloween party goes on. So it has things like for all of the human NPCs in the game, it designates what uh, Halloween costume they're, they're wearing. Yeah, and each and of the then, each of the rooms in the house has kind of a spooky name to it too. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then I'm planning to release. I don't know when the podcast will be out, uh, but you know, we're talking at the end of October here. So uh, beginning okay. of November, the plan is to release a uh, Australian scenario. Ooh, neat. And then I'm not sure what's going to be on tap for December and, and January. Okay, I imagine December's is going to be probably either like snow or mm-hmm. or holiday related of some sort yeah we'll see we'll see what uh what inspiration strikes us i could see kittens having fun out in the snow yeah oh. yeah i've played some good games that uh that have involved trying to go out into the snow <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh let's 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 talk some about some more about laser kittens here because i know mm-hmm. the experience that that matthew and i had was was pretty neat at um shushkan was it matthew yes yeah so um done at Polly's island yeah, so I mean, heck, what were your, what were your, some of your thoughts on it when we started playing? I remember I was like, "You've got to play this. You've got to sit down and play this." <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what what about me saying that convinced you that you had to play it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I generally trust your taste in RPGs and how they'll play and how much, at least how much fun they'll be. Um, And yeah, this one definitely delivered. It was, you know, uh, I think you and I kind of both share a bit of a a love for this, uh, well, what would the word be? Emergent storytelling? Like you just, you have all the pieces to make a story happen and you go and make it happen. And Laser Kittens is just all about that with the added absurdity of, of kittens and lasers to it all Um, (laughs) and with that it's just really it's really fun it's really easy to get into because you can imagine what being a cat is like or what thinking like a cat would be 
um, and and you get to either cooperate with or or you know, kind of get in little kitten fights with the other players at the table. <laughs> and it's yeah, the rules are such that it's just it happens. It's not a big fuss. You get to play. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's got interesting. Uh, the card mechanic I thought was was a, was a really neat neat thing. So instead of rolling dice, we're actually flipping over cards. And I, I actually have the the um, you could use two two regular sets of uh, playing cards, but I actually have the the kitten cards because I had to have the kitten cards. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was a nice touch, um, but it's also it's also really neat because uh, earlier off offline, uh, as Stentor, I, I was talking to you about fiasco, mm-hmm. and um, my takeaway from from this was if if you're not quite if you're not quite into some of the more um, grittier aspects of fiasco, give Laser Kittens a try because it's it's got mechanically a lot a lot of similarities uh, enough to get get some of those uh, those those ideas the shared narrative kind of um and and really some of the world building ideas down but you get to play a cool cat a cool kitten that's got yeah that's got lasers <laughs> yeah and fiasco was definitely a big inspiration that's how i started role playing uh, cheyenne introduced me to role playing by getting me to play fiasco and <laughs> so that's kind of that's the like the the paradigm of role playing that's always lurking in the background of anything that i design is trying to capture some of the the wackiness that has come out of some of the fiasco games that I've played. And I actually wrote a fiasco playset about cats uh, that uh, you can also find through our, our website uh, if you're a fiasco player. It's called You Are a Cat. And it's you know, full of <laughs> cat things that you can build into your game. Awesome. Well, I gotta say, uh, I definitely feel like you, you captured it here because it, uh, it plays like that. You get all the fun interactions and you know, like John said, it's it's less gritty. Like, you can still be mean if you want to, but yeah. you're kittens, so it's easy to not be if you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and this all came out of the fact that we foster kittens for our local Humane Society. And oh. so we spent a lot of time observing what kitten life is like and trying to like get inside the perspective of being this tiny little kitten that doesn't really understand what's going on in this big world around you. Uh, and that's what we were trying to trying to put into this game. Oh, it, it definitely captures captures that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I do wonder like like how this game would would go over with people who are who are not cat people because I find that if, if someone's not a cat person they just don't they just you know do not understand the workings of a of a cat as it were. Mm-hmm. Not that anybody can truly understand a cat. When I think about it. <laughs> I, I've played with some people that were self-described not cat people, uh-huh. and they seem to have a really good time with it. Okay. Um, there, there might have been some nuances they missed, but uh, they seem to enjoy it. And so one of the things, if I can talk about our, our Kickstarter that's coming up a little bit. Sure. Let's yeah. do that. So there's <laughs> kind of two aspects to it, two things that we want to do. Uh, and so one goes back to the kitten cards that you mentioned. So when we did our first Kickstarter to initially publish the game a couple years ago, one of the, the things that we created along with it was these decks of kitten cards that because so, the game plays with uh, two standard playing card decks. So you can use whatever cards you have, but we produced this set that each card has a, a unique kitten picture on it and they're all doing kitten stuff. 
like, uh, you know, looking at empty food bowls and chasing lasers <laughs> and getting a bath and uh, all these kind of things. And I just, I love these cards so much. Um, I just sometimes just get them out and just look at the art uh, <laughs> without even playing anything with them. Um, but the way that we did it, we did this, uh, a run of 500 decks, and that was enough to fill the Kickstarter and continue to sell them uh, online and at conventions for uh, the, the following couple of years, but we are now out of kitten cards. And so we decided this is a good excuse, uh, rather than just uh, arranging to do another print run of the same deck that we've been using, uh, to find new artists, which we are uh, still in the process of getting that definitely nailed down, so I can't like, uh, give you a name yet, but we're, we're going to get an artist that can do a new set of kitten cards with all new uh, and equally awesome uh, art. And actually, I should give a shout out to the artist of the original deck. Uh, it's Rory, find her at Rory, R-O-R-I Comics uh, on Twitter if you want to look her up. She does a, a lot of really great uh, art and we couldn't be happier with what she did. But we're, we're now uh, getting a, a new artist nailed down to do a, a new deck, uh, you know, so the people that already have the old deck uh, could get even more kitten cards. Oh my gosh. Um, so that's going to be part of the Kickstarter is to fund that because that's a lot of art to pay for, uh, you know, 54, right. uh, 55, including the card backs uh, images. Yeah. Then along with that, we're going to do a book of uh expansions and hacks for the base game. So it's going to include some of these kind of scenarios, like the ones we've been putting out as free quick starts uh, and additional setup options. So there's a, like a table of NPCs that you pick from uh, in creating your, your world when you start playing the game. So we'll give you additional options of that. Then versions of the game where you can play foster puppies uh, for those folks that are more dog people than uh, cat people. Uh, one where you're baby dinosaurs in a Flintstones <laughs> style uh, world. Um, oh, that's there's awesome. <laughs> one that's actually uh, available on the website uh, that's called Space Knight Academy that's kind of like uh, Jedi Knights with the serial numbers filed off um, <laughs> kind of situation. And uh, I'm working on uh, one called Trash Friends where you play animals that eat garbage. So you can be a raccoon or an opossum or Oh ibis, my gosh. Uh, oh, that sounds a awesome. Bear. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to have a bunch of stuff like that ex expansion material for uh, the base game that you can get as well. So that's that's all planned for February. So what is this? What is this uh, kickstart um, potentially going to be called? This thing that's going to basically add more more kittens to laser kittens. Well, it it is in fact actually going to be called more kittens. Haha! <laughs> See, I, I knew that. That is the title that we're gonna go with. Yeah, I knew that. I was just I was setting everything up. Okay. Ha ha ha! Very well done. That was me using my my uh, kitten lasers. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but you didn't make the sound, John. I know. I you didn't make the make sound. The sound. I, I couldn't think of anything that uh. Couldn't think of a good a good uh, pew 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 pun mm -hmm. that worked with that. Dang it! Podcast, 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 podcast. <laughs> sure, sure, that'll work. <laughs> yeah, I will say, in designing some of these hacks, coming up with good puns uh -huh. for the the laser powers is sometimes the toughest part. Oh, I gotta you know, admit, finding uh, twenty six different things <laughs> that all rhyme, that all like are interesting, that you might want to pick. Uh huh. Oh, I admit, I was impressed with the the ones that are in the the uh, laser. Or kittens book itself there's some some really interesting ones there i was like wow ah oh, i get it that makes okay. sense and that was always that was a fun aspect
aspect of the game too at the uh, at a uh, shushcon when I was running this because mm-hmm. uh, they everyone got right on board with that with the whole oh so so when I use my laser I have to actually say this all right mm-hmm. that's a rule of the game that's a rule of the game it doesn't work if you don't say it <laughs> no it's it's a great rule <laughs> <laughs> so with these new with the new um with the new kitten cards will we mm-hmm. if if I have a deck of the new kitten cards and a deck of the old kitten cards would I be able to just uh, mix those together oh yeah yeah I mean the the back awesome. art will be different but that shouldn't like that's just all shuffled together okay you know that shouldn't I mean they'll all be exactly the same standard size so you can just okay. mix them together if you want yeah see I say that like I'm not gonna go ahead and probably get two of the decks in. <laughs> yeah if anything that's that should make it easier because uh, then instead of reshuffling we can just go okay well look oh here's another two decks that are already reshuffled uh-huh. yeah because <laughs> I seem to remember that the more the more people we had the more uh, more frequently we were shuffling that or reshuffling yeah, yeah, that we deck yeah those decks real fast yeah because everybody's got ten cards on them at all times you've got a hand of five and your laser is five cards <laughs> that's right so that adds up that adds up real quick uh, when you get the larger I've it's recommended as three to five players but I've played it with six at some cons when there's just like so many people trying to get into the game uh, and you know it runs fine with six players but you're just shuffling all the time and uh, and I think know, I guess you could get three decks if you if you combine three decks then you would have to shuffle as often whoa see now you're getting into like uh, into, into strange board game territory because that's kind of something <laughs> they that's what those board gamers <laughs> would do to add a six player to their game well we just gave you a whole new deck to shuffle in there yeah yeah <laughs> I think when we were in the, the quick start here we actually had six people because a couple <laughs> extra people showed up that day uh, because we were doing food and so they were like oh food I'll show up for food and it's like oh do you guys want to play this game about cats and lasers yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah we that deck was uh, disappearing very quickly every single time yeah when I facilitate the game at conventions usually I'm not a player because we've got enough people playing mm-hmm. and so one of my main jobs is just to keep that deck shuffled <laughs> I could see that yeah. I could see that huh so alright oh my gosh so much kitten stuff so <laughs> aside from laser kitten which is which is a it's, it's, it's a lot of fun everyone should should play this game um and i'm i think it's going to be in my regular rotation for at least for the the next uh convention season for me i'm gonna be awesome. i'm gonna be bringing it around and um i was just trying to put our schedule together for this uh for scarab convention which is in january here in south carolina and um normally i don't i if i'm lucky i get to i'm doing so much other stuff that i maybe i may only get to one run game one game um mm-hmm. And I was just talking about that with uh, Ruby, my wife, and and she's like, "You're not gonna get to, you're not gonna run any games this year." And I was like, "Oh man, mm-hmm. well, I don't know if I can get anybody to to run Laser Kittens." And she's like, "Okay, you can run that game." <laughs> like, Sweet. All right. All right. Uh, so speaking of kittens, you've also got a um, a game out on your website at least about. Looks more like a, a, I guess it's more like a card or board game about moving kittens uh, or trying to get your kitten into the the warm spot of the sun. Yes, yes. (laughs) Warm kitties. Yeah, so that, that is a board game. It's kind of an area control game um, where you're controlling a family of cats and you're trying to get them into... There's sunlight squares and shade squares and you're trying to occupy the shade squares uh, and sort of get yourself to maximum warmth. Um, and it has kind of a um, worker placement mechanic for how you can move the cats around. And then the thing that makes it really cool but also is why we haven't uh, formally published it yet is that the, the sunlight squares move 
over the course of the game. So each round, <laughs> uh, your, your, your cats are dice that are being used as counters so that you kind of increment them up by one uh, every turn they spend in the sunlight and, and down every turn they spend in the dark. Um, they're sitting on this plastic sheet, and then you slide this uh, you know, image of the sunlight underneath it uh, as the sun kind of moves across the room over the course of the day, which is really cool uh, and it works really well. But I talked to some manufacturers because that's you know kind of a specialized thing that goes above mm-hmm. you know, oh, my game's going to need a bunch of cards and this and that kind of tokens and meeples and stuff. You know, that's yeah. a, a special yeah. manufacturer you'd have to get. And the uh, you know, the, the cost estimates on doing it were just more than we thought we were likely to be able to raise on a Kickstarter uh, at that point in time. That was a, a few years ago when we were working on that game. So, uh, you know, we might come back to that at some point if we get kind of big enough to be confident that <laughs> we get enough backers on Kickstarter to be able to, you know, raise enough to get a minimum order of those manufactured. Uh, but for right now, it is up for print and play. So if you, uh, you know, have access to some clear plastic sheets that you can run through a printer uh you can assemble your own uh warm kitties for but you know we're, okay. we're kind of on pause for actually publishing that just because it's a uh, manufacturing is complicated and gotcha it's it's a lot easier to do just books and decks of cards right yeah yeah i was gonna say i've got a lot of um overhead projector sheets for, for yeah. laser printers uh, at my at my desk at work uh, yeah so hmm. you, you could print yourself <laughs> up a, a copy if you like hmm. all the files are there on our website if you want to okay. the art is pretty minimal um but it's functional <laughs> i'll put a lot of pictures of the uh, of my own cats on there that'll be great yeah <laughs> <laughs> Aside from cats, because it seems like there's, uh, ama- imagine that uh, Glitter Cats Fine Amusements has has a uh, very cat-centric uh, focus on quite a few games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, are there are there any other are there any other um, games that that Glitter Cats puts out or that that you have available on your site that you think um, our listeners or or anybody would would just uh, should really check out or would be really interested in? Uh, well, I guess I can talk about our our next big project that's coming up after we do uh, the second Laser Kittens Kickstarter. Okay. So that's the project that's been kind of occupying uh, a lot of my design time. Uh, so this is a game called Get Ready to Rock. Uh, and imagine that title. Uh, it's it's two is the number two. And it, as well as several other letters, have umlauts on them. Um, ah, so okay. this is a, a game that is uh, about being in a band and getting into trouble the way that rock stars uh, get into trouble. So it's uh, another GM-less game. It actually started out as a game with a GM and sort of halfway through the development I realized, wait a minute, this is going to work so much better. You're going to get so much better drama between all the band members if it was GM-less. So it's kind of transitioned (laughs) to that and it's uh, based uh, on the uh, Apocalypse World system. So if your listeners are familiar with that family of games, you know, Apocalypse World, Dungeon World, Monster Hearts, uh, oh, yeah. and, and those kind of games. 
uh, it, it's based a lot on the mechanics of those, uh, but there's uh, some elements that I swiped from the Fate system, and there's uh, a definite fiasco uh, influence as well, um, n- both because of the, the GMless part and the original inspiration from it was actually there's a couple of fiasco playsets about being in a touring rock band. And that was uh, part of my inspiration to build this out into a, a whole freestanding game. Okay. And that's going to be so. That's going to be coming out um, after the after the Kickstarter for more kits. Yeah, our our current uh, business plan is to try to do a Kickstarter every February because that's what we did for the original Laser Kittens uh, Kickstarter, and that seemed to be a, a good time for us. So then, this coming February, we're doing the Laser Kittens Spark Two, the More Kittens uh, <laughs> Kickstarter. So then, the following uh, February, the February 2020, uh, we're aiming to do a Kickstarter for Get Ready to Rock. So we'll be doing a lot of uh, play testing and so forth of it. So you may see us at conventions and uh, so forth, uh, and running some online sessions as we get that game uh, workshopped into uh, into its final form. Awesome. So as as far as the um, as far as the process of, of like you mentioned, you were going to be basically play testing and, and uh, demoing this thing at a lot of conventions. Mm-hmm. Is has that been just sort of the general approach that um, that you guys have taken with all of your games, uh, with Laser Kittens and uh, I guess uh, Fool's Journey? Any of those? Mm-hmm. Any of those others as well? Yeah. So the usual development process for something that we decide has some legs and that we want to you know take all the way because there's there's some things that we've done where it's like. You write up something that sounds cool, but you're not really going to do any further development on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for something we really want to work on, uh, the, you basically you, know, you create a, a first playable draft, uh, and that often involves just kind of cribbing a lot of mechanics off of other things just to have something to fill the slot until you see what's going to work out. Uh, so uh, with Get Ready to Rock, for example, uh, it began as a hack of Monster Hearts, and so if you were to look at the game at different stages of its development, you would see the Monster Hearts elements getting kind of progressively cycled out of it as we figured out new things that worked better for the specific game that we were uh, doing. And so once we have a, a playable draft, we usually get some local folks together to play it uh, and you know run a few sessions, see what works, see what doesn't, make some updates and edits to the, the game itself. Then we start taking it to uh, conventions and so forth. So uh, you know, we've been to Origins, to Gen Con, to some of the other conventions where we'll run it for people. Um, there is uh, a game design-focused convention coming up in uh, a couple weeks called Metatopia that uh, we'll take stuff to. And there you have just other designers uh, and people who are kind of uh, expert play testers, people that mm-hmm. have done a lot of play testing of games and kind of know how to roll with something that is not polished and how to give good feedback on it. Uh, and so, you know, we'll, we'll run it at a place like that to get some really focused feedback. Um, uh, we'll do some online sessions sometimes if there are people that we want to play with that aren't local. Um, 
And just through that process, you're just always iterating. You're always taking what you learned from the sessions you've done and going back and adjusting things, uh, trying to see what works with the, the game updating uh, stuff in it, and then trying it out with some more people and seeing how it goes for them. And it, it can be really cool to see how you know something that was a stumbling block in one version of the game transformed into something that uh, really worked well in the next version. So as an example with Laser Kittens, when we started out, uh, we had a fixed set of stats that each cat had. Uh, and that was a little clunky and didn't seem to, to work very well. And then we ended up replacing that with the classes mechanic. Uh, okay. Where, you know, so for listeners that haven't played the game, uh, you know, the, the premise is that the kittens are essentially at a school. Being a foster kitten is like being uh, a student and learning how to be a cat. And so part of the setup is you pick five classes that all of the kittens are taking and the adult cats in the house are their professors teaching them and you assign yourself grades in all these classes and then when you do things that relate to the material in a class you could get a bonus or a penalty uh, on what you're doing uh, on the basis of being having good or bad grade in that class. And so once we switched over from having just like predefined stats to having these classes, we're like that works so much better. It integrates with the spirit of what we're trying to do in uh, the game, where it encourages people to be creative in how they apply the classes uh, to the things that they're uh, doing. Like that, one of my favorite examples is somebody argued that they should get a bonus for trying to jump up on the table because they had an A in film studies and in their film studies class they had been watching kung fu movies and I was like okay go for it right? <laughs> you know it encouraged that kind of creativity uh, and it like thematically fit because of the whole premise of you know you're at this school learning to be a cat um, so you just things like that emerge as you're going through this development cycle <laughs> that's pretty cool I like that I know you probably get a, a, a nice just uh, just from your, your local gamers the guys that the, the folks that you normally would go to you probably get a, a pretty good amount of um, just baseline feedback I guess from mm. from them do you find that play testing it out there at different conventions with with uh, some people that you probably have never seen before do you find that mm. to, to be um, a really good source for for that feedback as well yeah definitely uh, it's it's really important to play it with different groups of people because the people that we know locally the people that will come over to my house if I put up a Facebook event and say, hey, everybody come play this game. You know, there's, because we've played a lot together, there's a certain culture of play that's developed, right? We all play in certain ways that fit together well for us. And there's certain, you know, background assumptions that we all have about how games are going to run. And those don't necessarily transfer over to everyone out there, everyone that we might want to purchase our game. Uh, so things that, you know, we might not need to spell out for our friends, uh, we might need to spell out for other people that aren't immersed in our very particular local uh, kind of play culture. And so you get uh, a lot of different and really interesting and useful feedback when you're running for a more uh, diverse group of people coming from different uh, you know, backgrounds in terms of what they play and how they play and where they play. Um, so that, that, that is really useful. Okay. So I guess kind of something you'd mentioned right before discussing how you go into playtesting and getting in front of all these different groups of people uh, was 
basically you have this idea and once you decide to actually move forward on that idea um, and I guess from your from your experience what what kind of makes that happen like you have an idea what what for you is the deciding factor between this is a game that I think is really cool and I do want to move forward with and get it play tested versus this is a game that I think could be cool uh, but it's not there yet mm-hmm. so honestly there there is an element of kind of marketing to that of thinking about is this game something that's likely to have a broad enough appeal that enough people are going to want to play it that it's worth putting all that extra work into refining it uh, you know both in terms of refining the mechanics and the the play and you know publishing it making it look nice writing up a, a really uh, detailed uh, rule set that's more than just a framework and art all those kind of things you know that's a lot of work to put into it and so I don't want to do that if it's a game that I don't think is going to have you know, a lot of broad appeal. So, you know, if Laser Kittens, we're like, all right, Laser Kittens, everybody loves kittens. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are into that idea with Get Ready to Rock. It's like, okay, you know, the idea of being in a band, people have seen media like, you know, VH1 Behind the Music, or This is Spinal Tap, or Flight of the Concords, <laughs> those kind of things, right? They'll, they'll kind of get what it's all about and, you know, be interested in playing uh, something with that premise. On the other hand, there's a, a game that I wrote up uh, a couple of weeks ago that is uh, about the, the the battle between Sheets and Wawa, which I don't know if uh, either of those stores are all the way down where you are, but it's, it's a big thing. <laughs> it's a big thing here in Pennsylvania that you're either a Sheets fan or a Wawa fan. And so for <laughs> listeners that aren't, aren't familiar, these are kind of like uh, high-end gas station convenience store fast food places uh so you can get your gas you can buy you know packaged uh foods but then they also have uh you know a little kitchen and you order stuff off of a touchpad uh and they'll make you know sandwiches and fried stuff and all those kinds of things and so the western half of the state is sheets country and the eastern half of the state is wawa country uh <laughs> and it's this it's this big battle between them. and then there's a couple others uh get go and rudders that are the same kind of model Model, but they're uh, less popular. So I wrote this game about Sheets versus Wawa, and you actually play it by going to these stores, and the the numbers on your receipt are kind of the mechanics. So I read these. Like cards or dice, you're looking at like what's the what's the the number at the end, the digit at the end of my final total, and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I wrote this, and I was highly amused by it. Some of the other people I showed it to were highly amused by it. But I mean, this is a really specialized thing. You know, mm-hmm. people outside of, you know, <laughs> of Pennsylvania and neighboring states aren't going to really get it. They're not going to really care about Sheets versus Wawa. Um, so, you know, there's no point in doing a lot of developments. Uh, on something like that. Um, you know, and I may end up taking some of the ideas that went into this. You know, I, I built some mechanics for it that I hadn't used before, that I hadn't seen in other games, and maybe I'll cannibalize some of those for another game at some point. But, you know, it, it just didn't feel like something that was going to be worth that effort in terms of who was going to see this and who was going to want to play it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You know, we're, we're planning several years out in our development cycle. So then yeah. we're, okay. we're coming back to cats because we can't we can't set aside uh, cats for very long. Gotcha. Um, and the working title of this game is probably going to change by the time it gets published. But the working title is Cat Apocalypse World. 
So it's also based on the Apocalypse World system. Uh, and you play a colony of cats that were former pet cats trying to survive after the human society has collapsed. So there's been some sort of apocalypse in human civilization, and now all the cats are out uh, on their own trying to survive in the wastelands. So that's that's in development for a, a couple years out from now. Okay, and that sounds like it's it. going to have a, a bit more of a serious tone to it than. Uh, Not necessarily. Not necessarily, because you are cats. Uh, you're you're oh, talking okay. cats, and you have uh, you know cat stuff. So it deals with some slightly more serious themes. Uh, uh, and there's sort of a, a central tension about do you want to kind of find the humans again and become pets and, and reestablish the old world or do you want to <laughs> go totally feral and be like, you know, the age of humans is over, now it's the age of cats. Cats will rule the world. Um, but it's also zany and silly. Uh, I ran a session of it uh, last weekend where uh, th- so there's a mechanic in that game where you, you have nine lives and you can sacrifice a live life to basically go out in a blaze of glory uh, if you fail a roll uh, and then come back in the next scene, uh, you know, back from the dead. And so there's a, a cat that actually ended up getting flushed down the toilet. Uh, and <laughs> after, like, like, he ripped the heck out of this uh, enemy human that was trying to mess with the cats. But then, you know, he got shoved into the toilet, but then he came crawling out of the sewer pipes in the next scene. <laughs> so it, it can still be pretty wacky. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I was worried it was going to be a little a little bit uh, watership down right there. And it's like, oh, oh yeah. that could be rough. And so do you want but me again, to just like, okay. I was just going to say, just like laser kittens, you, you have the option. It's not forced on you, mm-hmm. but you can, you can still take it that way if you want. Yeah. yeah. I seem to remember in our game, you, you Matt, you, you kind of took... <laughs> Uh huh. Well, okay. We weren't. It wasn't going. It wasn't going dark. But but your your kitten. Uh, we. I remember when we were tell, uh, giving our little our end story there of how we you know either went to our forever home or uh, what happened to us. Yours was was just you know you ended it on a really kind of almost a just downright sad note there for your kitten. I mean, my my kitten slash adult cat by that point was very happy. But you know uh, they well, they were out standards. there protecting. Protecting their block of the street without a forever home. That's right, because you ra- you ran away from the foster home. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I forget why exactly, but I think there was, there was a good reason. It's because we had ripped a hole in the screen door and. Right, and I could. Yep. And you were like, "I'm gonna <laughs> run." <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that. Yep. All right. Wow. So it's been great having you on the show, Stenter, with uh, Glitter Cat's Fine Amusements. Um, I hope you've had a, an interesting time talking with, with me and uh, Matthew on, our, on yeah, the Swarmcast. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great. <laughs> um, not only have we have we learned some, some interesting and, and funny things about cats, per se, uh, but uh, yeah, you've, you've actually given us some really interesting insight into um, a lot of the design process uh, the development process for for the various games and I encourage all of our listeners to go out there uh, check out Glitter Cat's Fine Amusements check out Laser Kittens and all the other uh, fine games that that are out there from Glitter Cats and be sure to check out be sure to check Kickstarter because in February there's going to be more kittens and be sure to also look out for Get Ready to Rock and the the last one that you had just you had just mentioned to us uh, Cat Pop 
Catpocalypse, I think you said it was? Catpocalypse World. That's the cat, working title. Catpocalypse so World. It, it may be called something different when it gets published, but it'll be about cats after the apocalypse. Okay. I guess the best thing for, for all of our listeners to do is uh, find Glitter Cats on on Facebook. or and, Yeah, uh, just... we're, on, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash playglittercats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're also at playglittercats on Twitter. And then I'm on Twitter at Chef Stentor, C-H-E-F-S-T-E-N-T-O-R. Okay. And if people were going to to hashtag uh, pictures of themselves playing cat games or playing any glitter cats games, what would be a what would a ha- what would be a, a fun hashtag for them to, to put on there? Um, I think you know hashtag laser kittens uh, will get to us, or maybe hashtag pew pew pew. In that case, uh, Swarmcast listeners have a good time being cats and pew pew pew. User lasers swancast has board game this for you yeah you got the good bad and other stuff to tell you so listen up to our board game review you'll really like it or i'll make you eat your shoes stellar leap discover new planets and complete missions in this family-friendly space exploration game Earn prestige by completing missions, discovering new planets, increasing population, and fulfilling your hidden objective. Variable player powers and game-changing events mean that every game is a different, as different as the planet's inner galaxy. This is Stellar Leap by Weird Draft Games. One to five players, 20 minutes per player, and ages 14 and up. So this game is actually was played by and reviewed by myself, John. Myself, Doug. Myself, Matthew. You had an interesting uh, space name that you know, we, we really can't <laughs> repeat. It had something to do with a bucket, I think. Uh, yeah, so, somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah. So what's some good stuff we can say about Stellar Leap? Uh, this is a great game. The build quality was uh, really nicely done. The uh, You have a little player board that kind of takes after maybe a little bit of the Terra Mystica style or as you're picking up chits off of the board. Or your your population, it tells you how many population you've got down, and <laughs> and it's actually two layered. So you have some of your little markers are kind of form maybe little toggle switches as you know as you complete actions, you yeah slide them up and down. And your resource trackers fit into these nice grooves. Yeah, really high quality. Each each race, there's nothing different between the races other than the color and the like the the board, but the they have their own distinct. Uh, population markers which is kind of cool not, that's true that's, not too many games do it that c- it could have just been a uh, generic little meeples but yeah instead like, everyone has their own little yeah. you know raptors or, or, or birds, birds or, or robots mm-hmm. <clears throat> little tvs yeah. um i actually really like the game it's a you know a board gaming 4x you know explore expand i forget what the other x's are um may or may not be involving alcohol but um <laughs> It's it's kind of a 4x light. It's it's not too complicated, but there's there's enough to kind of keep you going. You know, I don't know that you know it's not super rules heavy, um, and it's different enough that it would play different. Um, yeah, probably when you swap in other players, I feel like we all kind of had a similar play style. We we played it a half a time. Well, and then well the, the secret the secret goal could totally change that though. Yeah. yeah. All of our secret goals were all about population. Yeah, this the time. first the first yeah. time I we played it, the one I had was to fight people. 
Yeah. So that would have changed my tactic completely. Yeah. I, I, fair enough. I guess, um, but I don't know that we got it in deep enough that you actually started to fight anybody. The first time we, we, I, we I played like a half a game. I did it. Yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. The first time we played, we, we, it got kind of late, so we had to call it. So what was the play time on this one? I don't know, 20 minutes per player. Per player? Does um, that sound about accurate? Uh, not at all. Did yeah. it take us an hour to play it, or did it take us more? Probably maybe 40 minutes a player. Because yeah. okay. even, even, the rules are not complicated. Like, <laughs> That's true. Like, once you, like, literally a, a turn, two turns in, and you get the hang of the game. It's yeah. really not that bad. But there's, you still have to make choices and kind of decide what to do. Yeah, um, and I could see uh, some players suffering from some severe... Analysis paralysis. Uh, yeah. on their turn. Yeah, I don't know that it was that it would be too. We bad we didn't because we're not we weren't too horrible at that. But yeah, but I felt I felt it starting to slip in for me, and I was like, no, I'm just gonna act anyway. But I could totally see right wanting to plan out a perfect. Well, turn. and there's a, there's a neat tactical <laughs> element that I think kind of kicks in towards the second or third act of the whole game. Yeah, if if you have if you have a second or third act to it to the game uh you can actually vary the length by um varying the number of the the, the game ends when you hit a certain number of events that okay. kind of like momentous benchmarks that get triggered and an event happens and most of the time they're good um maybe four to one or five to one to good to bad yeah yeah, uh, yeah. we didn't see any bad in the two times we played but um, but we saw the cards Later, and we know that those cards exist out there. Yeah, because the the events kind of do game changing. You know, hey, this mechanic gets doubled, or you double or half your resources, right. which kind of changes. You know, it's suddenly that's that can kind of be the oh, suddenly I have because about yeah instead of a fuel shortage, I now have so much fuel I can do all the exploration I want. Because it did seem like about halfway through the game, all of a sudden we had a um, a huge glut of resources. All of a sudden, yeah. yeah. All and, of us. And maybe that's where you would, uh, like, if you were going to be a warfaring. Yeah, that's when you. That's go, well, when I'm just going to populate up and boom, and just beat people down. Counts. And combat is literally like you compare. It, you can it, you can kick everybody else off of a planet if you've got more population than every yeah. other population. Combat, that's the combat is not complicated at all in this game, and I kind of like that. Given everything else that's going on, that's like one of the things have to do a lot of number crunching yeah. about. I think this is probably the only like beer and pretzel 4x <laughs> you could have because like <laughs> you you could you could enjoy because uh, we did enjoy a couple beers and and not get bogged down. Don't forget rules that kind of thing. Yeah, um, but it's still fun. Um, yeah. I like the fact that, that a lot of the rules were already on the boards. They were on us with a little cheat card that we got. Yep, and they, they're nice, and they actually give you a cheat card per player. Mm-hmm. Some some games only give you one or two of those. Right, you got to share. Yeah. Who, wants, who wants to do that before X games? Yeah, lots of good stuff on this. All right, so the, yeah, a lot of good stuff. So let's let's move on to something that might be bad. All right, so for the bad... Oh, God. Matt's um, prepared for this. <laughs> basically. I, I have to agree, I... I really enjoy a lot of this game. I love the build quality. Uh, I agree, it's a it'd probably be a pretty fun beard and pretzels 4x space game. But the bad is I don't know it it just didn't quite catch with me. Everything just felt too balanced and okay. down to die rolls. Just kind of yeah. seemed like we were all just kind of. Like doing similar things. Yeah. yeah. Like you couldn't focus on a specific resource. You need all the resources all the time. Yeah. And, and, you know, Matt and I had fairly differing 
strategies yeah. and came down to came down a, very a point. Yeah. We were a, we were 68 versus 69 <laughs> points, yeah. which literally could have been a die roll apart. Yeah, which is you know it's not which bad to have close scoring cool, yeah. points at a at a game. It's kind of neat. Um, I was I was kind of not a big fan of the uh, what I felt was the kind of strange point salad kind of thing we had there at the end there because uh, it almost felt like until I got towards the end of the game I kind of didn't really know exactly how I was doing in the game. Yeah, you you it was you kind of fly in the dark until the very end. Yeah. Um, which I mean, some like was it like Seven Wonders? You kind of do okay, that. Okay, yeah. You can you can kind of tell how you're doing, but you don't really know yeah. until you add it all up. I, I kind of felt like at the end, like I was like, oh, I should have been completing more of those, uh, whatever it was, the tier one and tier two uh, task things. Yeah, missions. Missions. It's, but I was focusing on everything else but that. I completed a ton of those, and you got. Second place. Yeah, yeah. By his point, because you you still you still but have only completed two of I, I, two I, or three two two twos and two threes. Okay. Whereas two, I had two a, ones and two twos. Whereas I had a ton of resources. I had yeah. I, I maxed out on at least two resources almost on the other two. Yeah, and I I was I was lagging behind by at least ten points or more from both of you guys. So so what? <laughs> I guess the the. Uh, the other hand that comes with a beer and pretzel 4x is i don't know that like i wouldn't want to play this again tonight no like maybe you know in the future i could see playing it again but not like right away some games hook you and you're like no let's play again um i do agree with matt there this isn't you know give it a little bit maybe switch up with the players okay um see if somebody's got well, somebody more aggressive because I don't think see, any of us are super aggressive. See, that's that's where those that's where those traits might come in. Yeah, the random traits, but I, I, the random traits and the random special powers I think add to its uh, replayability in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah, and so I think I just think those traits would have added a very different change of pace. All of our like it, all of our it, traits were very much built off of explore and populate the places. Yeah, but on on the other hand, we had very different. Right, you were, Matt, you're both Matt doing it very had, different ways. Yeah. Matt and I had very different traits, and wind up kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, I guess it's really do you do go a peaceful route or a war route? Try to kick people off of planets <coughs> and take their tokens, but. And yeah. I, w- I will say to add into the bad category, um, if you're not <laughs> if you're not very good with math, well, first off, there's a little tracking sheet. If 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 keeping score is not your forte, you can always use the the scorekeeping card. But like Doug, you're the traits that you got. <laughs> so, some of the wording was a little wonky, and I yeah. had to I had to reveal my secret trait and kind of have an open discussion, right? About what does this really mean? Um, and I could see like, and there was there was at least one question on something that, let's say a player who plays a game that's very uh, technical on the wording of stuff, like I don't know, a Munchkin player. Would just drive everybody at the table nuts over. Yeah, like hold on, we gotta stop for fifteen minutes Cause, cause while we, we look up on a rat. Right, because yeah. we had one where we asked about that, and we all kind of agreed. No, it seems like the fun and more logical way to be do it this way. And I was like, but I could see certain people I can think of who play Munchkin all the time would just argue that for another hour. Yeah, like like the the trait um, I had. I think we we kind of figured out that you depending on how you use the word and. Could have been interpreted right. three different ways, one one of which would have been super broken. One of which is what we want to kind of going with in the middle ground, and then one of them would would be 
pointless to even bother playing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but that being said, um, that was the only trait I remember seeing so far that was yeah. that was as wordy and yeah, there there are a couple of clarifications in the rule book on, uh-huh. on some like on one of the traits and one of the events. Like but the one like the trait I had. Yeah. Using other people's powers. Yeah. Yeah. Well your your special die. Right, so right, right. One one of the interesting mechanics um is you, you roll two dice to figure out what planets get triggered on their resources. And there's a universal power where you can kind of you normally you know, if it's a three a two and a three, um, planet two on two and planets on three would mm-hmm. trigger, and also planets Planet on five, five yeah. you add the two together. I thought so, that was neat. So if it, you know, you only have planets one through six, so if it adds together to be seven, nothing happens. Um, but there's you can do things like instead of adding, you could subtract, or yeah. you can re-roll a die, or flip the die over, or um, remove a die, remove a die, and one, chase so. the other one to whatever you want. Yeah, yeah stuff stuff like that. So it was. You know, some t- some turns you you had planets and all three numbers that came up, and it was incredible. And other times, butt kiss. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, uh, that yeah, we'll we'll throw that kind of in the other category. Yeah. Because that I thought that was a neat mechanic, and it was it was pretty fun. Yeah, it's a simple way for handling resource generation. Because other yeah, because there's some games where you like you roll one die yeah. and one out of six things generate stuff. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I've always felt like that was kind of. Yeah, it's a good way to add some strategy that, uh-huh. to a random event that makes it feel like you've got yeah. a little bit of control over the random. And, and that having yeah. and then having that that little exhaustion spaceship thing, kind of interesting too, because you might get annoyed at it at first until you realize, no, I should use my advantage. Uh, uh, this is kind of like my chance to kind of to almost take a break from what's going on. In the yeah. Game. So when when you're when when the numbers get rolled, all the players get generate resources. Unless you just took your turn, you know that there's the exhausted player is the one that just went, so yeah. that's the perfect time to go up and get some beer and pretzels, go right. to the bathroom, because you can kind of you, you can't do anything that round. So yeah, I mean, and and if you and, unless you're playing, well, I mean, and this kind of goes in the other category too. I was gonna say if you're only playing with two players, it's a chance to come up with some strategy. But it sounds like if you're doing more less than three players, you throw in the AI stuff. Yeah, there, there, you can actually play, um, there's like three different solo AIs, so you can play the game by yourself, which is really cool. I don't think too many board games let you do that. Yeah, um, that's a neat, for this game, that's, that's actually kind of intriguing. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't explore that, so uh, we didn't get to see how that works. Um, so, I, yeah, I also want to throw in the other category that there is an expansion deck that came with this, um, which just adds some more planets. Few more powers, I think. It, it almost feels like one. Of, this was one of the games that it was designed with the expansion in mind. So, like that's the complete game is with the expansion. Yeah, the expansion I, it didn't really sound like it. It's like a deck of cards. It, it didn't it, really sound like it, it added anything too terribly hugely game changing or. But I do think it would add a lot of replayability. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I, I, it's one of those that can't be more than 10, 15 bucks. And right. it is not more than $10. And it's it just a little... Looking yeah. online. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, like Doug said, it's just a little... It comes in a little tuck box, and it's just got a few more cards it adds to yeah. the different categories. Uh, so one other thing in the other category, this is a, this game was kickstarted. Um, mm-hmm. I have been burned enough times from kickstarted games, you know, Kickstarter is great. You don't need. You don't have to worry about publishers to get your game out there. But the <laughs> problem, yeah, the, the problem is, is the publishers tend to know what makes a good game. So 
I've seen games that look fantastic with incredible art, and then you get the rules, and it's not a game. It's so terrible. Yeah. Um, but this was a Kickstarter game, and it's incredibly solid. fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, I guess you, you can kind of remove the Kickstarter games done by companies that already make other games that just want to make more. Like, with, like CMON or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that those kind of get excluded from that, but you know, but this this one, well done. Pretty solid. Way yeah. to go, Weird Giraffe Games. Yeah. And this was uh, Stellar Leap by Weird Giraffe Games. Stroop by Grand Gamers Guild for... Two to four players, ages 13 and up, about 15 minutes playtime. Stoop is a real-time observation game based on the psychological stoop effect, a mental hiccup caused by different functions of the brain, interfering with one another. Players race to get rid of their cards based on color, black, red, blue, and yellow, size, big and little, style, hollow and solid, and number of letters, three, four, five, and six. Once you master that, up to the challenge with the advanced backwards forge cards, and it's a frenzy of card play as your brain sees one thing and you see, and you need to do something else. This game is reviewed by me, Tim, and me, John, and me, Matthew, and Doug. <laughs> so, what's something good we can say about this? It definitely lives up to the name Stroop. You definitely get that Stroop effect. Yeah, yes, breaks your brain. Oh my god. Yeah, my, my head kind of hurts now. And it does sort of play in the 15-minute range. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, fast. it plays really quick. It didn't take much to to, to get the, the rules out there for everybody. Yeah. Granted, each time after our brains broke, we kind of had to to go, okay, in this round, we're doing this again, right? But that, <laughs> so, yeah. so that key, wasn't really the game's fault. That was more of <laughs> So the key is, in one round, you're de- you're, the card you're playing is describing... The the center card is the other by the yep. center the card. Fir- the first well, and then the, yeah, and the other one, it's the other direction. So right. your brain is set up for one direction, and, and then you know, seven minutes later, you have to flip it to do the other direction. And several times, many of us just threw our cards down. And it was like, nope, because yep. then you got somebody who's just like just yelling out a bunch of of of, of stuff, and you're just sitting there going, going, I don't know. I, I don't know what any of the words on my cards in my hand yep. mean anymore. <laughs> well, did I did I have a yellow? Nope. No, I have a bunch of yellow cards, but none of them say yellow. Oh my! Oh my God! What what do I play? How? Do, what? No. And then you have Tim over here who just literally just throwing all card after card down. Boom! And big hollow yellow solid. <laughs> yeah, it mass chaos. Yep. Yeah, um, I, I might be too good at this game. But all this is all this is in our good category. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> What was it you said earlier, John? <laughs> it, it may not be fun, but... <laughs> it's but, definitely but, a challenge. But you definitely want to play it. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not a game that, that like, it's not a super gamey game. It's kind of closer to Uno, that style of, yeah. of rule but set. But more like a speed Uno. <laughs> yeah. While breaking your brain. Breaking yes. your brain is a very important part of the enjoyment here. <laughs> it, it just, it'll just give up. It's not really training your brain either. You're right. No, it's, it's, it's just it's, breaking it. Yeah, I I can even feel myself, especially when Matt did you know my trick. <laughs> yeah, so you know one of these two guys would be like throwing down a million cards one right after the other, and then the other one will just happen to fight figure one and like combo break Boom. him. And just going, and I'm just gonna wait because he's gonna play this eventually, and I'll sneak this in there. And you can watch their like the brain just go, uh, but crap, no. 
<laughs> just totally stumble and... And then Doug and I are staring across the, the way at each other going, uh, uh, I, I, I have a card. <laughs> I got cards in my hands. Every now and then we'd, we'd, we'd be the we'd combo breakers. When, when, yeah. when, these, when these two would like stump each other, we would get it. We'd get our chance yeah. <laughs> to play our one card. Okay, so what's the thing bad about this game? Uh, well, I could see how somebody might get easily frustrated and probably table flip at this game. Yes, if you are prone to, like, anger at <laughs> don't understand why you're suddenly losing hard, yeah. this this will be infuriating. Yeah, you've got to have good humor when you're, when you're playing this. Yes. Yeah. Not, like, not be a, a really bad sore loser, for, for lack of a better. Yeah. Because <clears throat> it's whether your brain works like this or not. In yeah. this given round, like yeah, <laughs> so frequently one of us would kill it in one round, and then their brain would just stop working for the second round, or like the very last round we played, like I had to give up halfway through and was really frustrating. But then you, but then you came back. Yeah, it's like okay, okay, give it a minute, and your brain resets, and then <laughs> yep. you know yeah. Tim's thrown down half of his cards already. <laughs> so, so, so we we kept saying this kind of reminded us of those things that people would post on Facebook where it says where it would say uh. You know, if you can... Uh... So this is the other category. Oh. Uh, fair enough. Well, I, one, one more bad thing. Um, if you suffer from a form of colorblindness... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You oh. would probably absolutely hate this game. Yeah. What if you had Or to, it's like you... cheating, because you... <clears throat> maybe. Now, in the advanced mode, uh, maybe if you had dyslexia, you might either get an unfair advantage or disadvantage. Yes. Yeah, so so the advanced mode, we you know, it says after you've played it for 20 times... So, of course, after we played it two times, we decided <laughs> we, we should punish ourselves with the advanced mode. So let's, um, let's go into the other category. Yeah. Yes. And talk about the advanced mode. So in the other category. Advanced mode. There's this, there's this advanced mode. You shuffle a second deck in that has all of the same words in all of the various combinations, Colors, yeah. but then throws in forward and backwards. Yes, right. And then prints them in forward and backward. Yep. yep. So so that's fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and then they say, oh, you could play that with five people. I think, that, I think that broke some of our brains more so than the others. And, and it wasn't even because of the forward and backwards stuff either. <laughs> Third card in, my brain went, nope. <laughs> It's like, I got five extra cards in my deck. Somehow that's the thing that's the tipping point. <laughs> Not the forward and backward. I that gotta, was, no, I no, got to no. deal with 20 of these cards now. <laughs> uh, that's it. Game over. So, so like I started to say, we, we made the comment that this reminded us of things that um, people would post on the internet where they would say... Um, yeah, if you're only geniuses can understand these words or read this... These words. Can you find the eight? If you can, you're a true genius. Yeah, when they would do stuff like, you know, coconut plus coconut equals three, and then coconut plus plus pineapple equals equals 14. 14, Then what does pineapple divided by sunshine equal? Plus a mosquito. Yeah, some garbage like that. Yeah, can you find the, can you find the Volkswagen in this picture (laughs) full of sunflowers or something? Uh Uh-huh. You do not have to be a genius to be able to to play the game Stroop, I don't think. You just nah. you, you have to have really good just Patience. recognition skills, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Be immune to the Stroop effect. Yeah, this this odd combination of speed patience. <laughs> yes, speed, speed patience. patience. <laughs> That's a good one. 
Tim's been building up uh, his immunity to the Stroop effect over the years by taking small doses of Stroop uh, <laughs> at his cereal every morning. Yes. I guess. A few drops of in my cereal every morning. So what, ca- so what game were we playing again? Uh, we were playing Stroop by Grand Gamers Guild. Awesome. I, I have. There's no audio thing I can say that would demonstrate the Stroop effect. Stroop? Yellow. <laughs> I just said the word yellow, but it was backwards and, and it was blue. blue. <laughs> Visitor in Blackwood Grove by Resonum Games. Three to six players, eight and up, takes five to 15 minutes. An 80s alien adventure in the woods. A spacecraft crashes in Blackwood Grove, protected by a powerful force field. Why can some objects pass through the force field, but others are repelled? It's a unique three to six player game that only takes 10 minutes to play. The alien visitor invents the pass rule for the force field and allies with the kids against each government agency. Agents collect clues by seeing what objects pass or are repelled by the force field until ready to prove the pass rule. The kid must predict what object will or will not pass through and build trust until ready to prove the pass rule. How are these objects different from each other? Prove the pass rule before it's too late. So, this game was reviewed by myself, Ruby. Uh, me, Calvin. Tim. John's here. Mine's your Matthew. And Brooklyn. Is that where we're going to go with? Mind your Matthew. Uh, I think it was... I thought it was Matthew coming. No, no. I like the new. I like the new. All right. So, what was good about this game? It it really did take... It didn't take long once we started playing. Um, It kind of figured it out. Yeah, it it fell into It was pretty quick. For the number of players that we had Mm -hmm. playing, it played... Within within the five to ten minute frame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and it it was pretty creative. Yeah. The game in, in itself and what it is. I liked mind games, so it was pretty fun. Okay. Interesting. The artwork was unique on it. I'm sorry. The artwork on it was actually kind of interesting. Yeah. It was a diverse number of pictures and types of things. Yeah, there was a yeah. large variety of yeah. object cards. <clears throat> and, it, and they gave you some, what, some visitor cards in case you had trouble coming up with yeah, oh, yeah, so there were visitor cards that gave you ideas of for pass rules. So Which, you could come up with one, or, or you could use one of those cards as as a baseline. Um, and some of them were like objects made with made of metal and things like that. Okay. okay. Anything else you want to list is good. I mean, fun graphic design when you're actually playing the game. Um, like it, it, it was fast. It was once once you knew the rules, it yes. was fairly smooth. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess that kind of leads us into the the bad thing. Well, what's the obvious bad thing here? Opening up that rule book and seeing all those flow charts. <laughs> yeah. And it oh, just saying, draw a card, do a card, do another card. And, and was... then they kept talking about the deck, but they changed the name of the deck twice. Yeah. So we actually ended up having to go to their website, and we watched the four-minute how-to-play video, which explained it perfectly, and... Yes, nice and concise. Right. Yeah. After that, it was like, oh, well, this isn't so bad. Yeah, well, once once you watch the video, and it's just... It it flows very smooth. Yeah. Once you see it play. Unlike those slow charts. (laughs) Um, I would say one other bad thing. Uh, Tim. (laughs) Yeah, there, there was one card I got, which... Nobody here could identify what the item was. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looked like a like an old canned ham or space. I ham. thought it was like a, a space console or something like that. So, 
<laughs> so, but see, ha- had I chose like objects from space, I would have been on the fence on. I think that's an object from space. Yeah, so, it's, it's space ham. Maybe it was a Walkman. Maybe <laughs> yeah. it was an old ham. Maybe it was, you know, a, a nuclear cell, like a oh, cross okay. section of a yeah, DNA cell. Been like an Ooh, in which case, it would have made it through. Yeah. But so. I'm still not. Yeah. The the picture the, it's a good and bad thing. The pictures are up to interpretation. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So mainly the rules, the rule book, the rule book, the rules themselves are after are not, are not horrible. But see, after we watched the <clears> video, <throat> then looking at the rule book, it was like, oh, now I understand why it's worded that way. So yeah. Any other bad things we want to say about visitor in Blackwood Grove? Dun, dun, dun. No, once no? you get no? past that rules explanation, it. It was pretty smooth and yep. not and, and a decent like fun game. Alright. You know? So anything other about it? It really captures that that uh, sort of nineteen uh, eighties nostalgia thing everybody's into nowadays where it's the kids versus government teaming up with aliens or something like that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um it actually had a nice nine inch circular board that your cards fit on and it had a built-in timer yeah. to how long the game would actually take. Cause the visitor only has a certain number of cards. So it will mm-hmm. only play unless people can't decide what cards to play. It will play within its time frame. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it was a good casual game. Yeah. Um, like it, I wouldn't go for it if you were looking for something really, really intense and brainy and think through it. But if you're looking for something casual to play in that 10 minute time frame, Yeah. 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 I think the kid's player marker, instead of being just a little generic little white marker thing, well, should have been like a little kid. bicycle or something like that. Yeah, because they had those <laughs> UFOs for the alien. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah <clears throat> and visitor. the kid had a visitor. little bicycle thing. So. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. So this was Visitor in Blackwood Grove by Resonum Games. So today we're reviewing Unreal Estate by Grand Gamers Guild. Uh, number of players is from 2 to 5, ages 13 plus, uh, time is 15 minutes. In Unreal Estate, the city council has hired you to design the best fantasy district. Each round, you'll draft cards, score building cards, or surprise your opponents with special building card effects. Rejected designs go to the scrap pile. As demand for a building grows, you can propose a building project to score. Time your place carefully to keep the other architects from scoring before you. Brought to life by the original art of Corrine Roberts, Guildmore is a city you'll want to visit time and time again. And that was reviewed by myself, Matthew. Me, Brooklyn. And Calvin. And Doug. And Tim. Yep, those are the five of us. Boom. Uh, so, the good of this game. What was what was good? What are people in the artwork? The artwork was, was pretty good. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It played within the time limit. I'm going to say how fast it played. Yep. Uh, cards felt nice, honestly. They were they were nice feeling cards. They were sturdy enough. Yeah. Not really flimsy. I, yeah. It doesn't take up much space. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> we're going to go yeah. back to artwork. Yeah. doesn't take up much space. Any, um, anything else? No. All right. Well, let's move into the bad. How, I, I, I will I say, say how the points the, are tallied. The points tallying um, card that they gave was kind of... Kind of nice too, yeah. except for it's also way more complicated, than way bigger. Yeah. So it, it's like a speedometer that goes to right. like two hundred miles an hour on a moped. Like it was way not happening. Yeah, 
Oh, and even better if you flip these over. You Plus one hundred. Oh, I don't. Un- I think if we had less players, it'd be you'd probably get more easily. points. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, bad. So <laughs> the tallying points. Yeah, tallying points of is awkward because you keep track of the tens digit and the ones digit. Yeah, separately. You have, you have two markers. So it's twice the chance for your your chit to get knocked over. Yeah, um, and you lose your score. Um, I don't know the the rules. I don't think are terribly balanced because the the people who go earlier in the last round can I don't know if you if you just pay attention to turn order because it's like a floating first turn turn. Yeah, and so I knew I was going to have the first turn on the last round and thus could screw over people, um, but I, which I think is. I don't know that there's a good way to handle that with this game. Also, the uh, the the special card that wipes the the uh, scrap. scrap. The, yeah. There's a scrap pile that is what you build buildings from, and if there's nothing in the scrap pile, you can't build buildings. And the first time we played it, that got dropped the second turn, which kind of kill, completely kills the game. Yeah, that early late game, I think that would be a cool play, but like if you were up, um, but just yeah, it seems like a silly yeah yeah. Honestly, uh, and I guess this is kind of a caveat, we did only play with five players for the games that we played this with, uh, so it might be a little smoother with fewer numbers of players. It could. I could see that. But I don't know that there are enough cards for five players. I right. The yeah. game felt really short. Yeah. Felt almost rushed with five players. And yeah. not much strategic control. Like There's, there's I, maybe six hands total. Yeah, yeah it's kind of more like a game of luck. Like, hopefully, you know, Brooklyn wouldn't play that card, so I can do it. Yeah, and hopefully, none of the other four players at the table take that one card I'm interested in. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is, which is why having the because you're you're last the turn before you're first, I think. Yes. So you kind of get two turns back to back, and getting that on the last play, um, I could make I yeah. could I could set up my combo and then immediately play it. Yep. Um, right. Which I killed it doing that. Right. But I, you know, it, yeah, it seems really unbalanced doing it like that. But yeah. Right. All right. Okay. So any any other notes? Um, Not really. No, that's pretty much all I got. Yeah. Like I, I feel like it's a it's a neat little concept. You're you're playing with this. You're playing with the idea of supply and demand. Um, so that was kind of cool. Just five-player execution was a little little rough. Without any anything else, this was Unreal Estate by Grand Gamers Guild. It was a board game reviews from the Swarmcast. If you don't like it, then come over and kick down. Tail! Tail! <laughs> Toast meant to say tail. Toast. Um, ooh. Why do you do that? Do you smell something burning? It can only mean one thing! We're cooking... Toast! Ha ha! No, it's supposed to be cooking with toast. What? Where? Cooking with toast! Better. Ah, the weather is, is simply beautiful outside. Yeah, stupid sunlight. Yeah. Hey, what's what's going on over here? Why, if it isn't the Swarmcast on Matthew coming at you. How's it going, Matt? Oh, 
Oh, hey, Toast. It's uh, it's going pretty good over here. How about you? Ah, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going okay. I'm trying to stay out of this stupid sunlight. Ugh. Yeah, keeps on happening. Uh, I hear it's good for your skin or something. Whatever. Hey, you look like you're cooking something over there. What are you cooking? Just chopping up a five-pound block of cream cheese. Oh. Gotta, gotta make a lot of food here, Toast. Okay, wait, wait, a five-pound block of cream cheese? Wait a uh, What are you making with cream you, cheese? Where'd you get a five-pound oh, block of it? Oh, Toast. Has no one ever introduced you to the magic of cream cheese? Oh, boy. Uh, what have I walked into? No! Nobody's shown me or told me about the magic of cream cheese. Well, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty much what makes all of my recipes worth eating. So, just take cream cheese and throw it into whatever. Into anything? Into pretty much anything. So, you know that whole buffalo chicken dip that everyone loves whenever I make it? Yeah, I heard about that on, on an old episode of the Swarmcast. Yeah, like that's that's just, uh, what, a regular old block of cream cheese, so eight ounces of that, eight ounces of uh, cheddar cheese, you take a, a can of chicken, and then as much buffalo sauce as you feel like, mix it all up and throw it in the oven, 350 for maybe an hour. Uh, yeah, as you can tell, mostly cream cheese. Wow. Uh, yep, now you can take that. Apply that same idea, make an amazing bean dip. Just take a, a can of refried beans, block of cream cheese, <laughs> block of cheddar cheese, take some salsa. You you, you get I where I'm going with I this. See what you're doing here. Uh -huh. Interesting. Oh, you, know, yeah. you know, John makes something similar to this. He makes his chimichangas, and he uses pretty much like cream cheese. Some, uh, something kind of like refried beans. But he cooks that up. Wow. I guess, yeah. I guess cream cheese is more magical than I, than I imagined. Oh, and, and it doesn't stop there. Wow. Uh, you know how amazing Oreos are? Yeah. Well, if you take a pile of Oreos, you just grind them up or break them up with your hands or however you feel like breaking them apart. I'm going to step on them. Uh, yeah, perfect. You scoop them up. Put them in a bowl, take a block of cream cheese, throw it in the bowl, uh -huh. mix it all together, and then you've got these awesome little cream cheese Oreo balls. Oh, oh my you, goodness. Yeah, you throw them in the fridge, you can coat them with melted chocolate or just sprinkles or whatever, and then you have an awesome dessert ready to go. Wow, you've, you've blown my mind here. Oh. Cream cheese, man. It's everywhere. Holy crap. Oh my also, gosh. Also... You're like, right. this five pounds of cream cheese is everywhere. Yeah, I see this. You really kind of made a mess of it. Maybe you shouldn't have let it sit out all day before trying to cut it up. But I wanted to make it nice and easy to... Uh, yeah, you're probably right, Toast. Hey, it's okay. Because you know what I got here? Ugh, a big old bag full of Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> hey! Yeah, I'm gonna step on it like I'm super to... ready to make some Oreo balls. Yeah, I'm gonna crush it up like I'm like one of them. Uh, I don't know, one of them French women squishing grapes. The the grape years. Yep. They An not Oreo the finest year. of grape wines. <laughs> We're gonna make us some Oreo wine here. It's gonna be great. There we go. <laughs> Done. <laughs>
Well, everybody, the show's finally over. That's it. You can go back to your normal life again, though it's probably never going to be the same. You can find the Swarmcast podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Tell us what you think. Heck, give us a good review on either iTunes and Tuned In, Stitcher. Heck, I think we're putting stuff out on YouTube now, if that's kind of your thing. Anyway, subscribe, like, whatever, all through those different guys. Or you can grab the RSS feed from our website, which is swarmcastpodcast.com. That's all one word. And you can also email us at swarmcastpodcast, again, one word, at gmail.com. Why not? Or you can leave us a message at area code 803-470-4439. And we'll probably play it on the air if you're lucky. Maybe. (laughs) So, until next time, keep on gaming. And when you think of toast, think of me.
Anyways, I hope this doesn't devolve into another one of those uh, singing dance parties at the end of the episode.